Welcome to School of Everything Else. Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. You can't put it into words. A moment when you look into the eyes of the one who is supposed to reassure you. Make you feel safe. It only takes an instant. Fear swallows you before you have a chance to make sense of it. And darkness becomes a part of who you are. Her world changed that day when the Northman took him from her. Senua knows that there is no going back to how things were. That there is nothing to go back to at all. Stay still, stay quiet, hide, don't tell her. Their gods can see into your mind. They will use this power to destroy you. They won't stop me. I can still feel him. Whatever's left of him, they will never let him go. I'm not gonna let him rot here. You're the one rotting here. Leave me alone. You will die here. No. And all your suffering will have been for nothing. This is the fifth game from Ninja Theory, a game development team that specialises in the same kind of performance capture presentation as Naughty Dog with their Uncharted and Last of Us series. Uh, so what else have uh, Ninja Theory done? They did Heavenly Sword mm-hmm. with Sony. Yeah. Uh, they did huh, Enslaved Journey to the West. On, Odyssey uh, to the West. Odyssey to the West. Sorry, I get confused with <laughs> Journey to the West. Um, and they did... What am I DMC, DMC, DMC Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry. So what's the fourth one? Should I have said uh, the fourth? D- D- Disney Infinity. They did Marvel superheroes and that Disney Infinity it. 3.0. Yeah. It really that that's the odd one out. That, <laughs> uh, specifically, they improved Disney Infinity to the point where it was actually a really good game. The th- the v- volume 3.0 is it's like they finally got it. This is a really good game. I can't wait to buy all the... Oh, it's already been cancelled. They it to the point where Disney threw it off a cliff. Yeah. The first Brilliant. one, just messing around the place. Like, you know, really not fantastic gameplay. The second one, straight up annoying. All the Marvel stuff just doesn't work. Third one, all the Star Wars stuff, really works. Really tight little game. Better for me than, than the Lego games. And then Disney just shit-canned it because... Because why carry on? Because the the bubble burst on like on their interest in the um, the, the mini me market. What's, what are they called? Uh, uh, Toys to life, like the Skylanders model. Yeah, uh, Skylanders model. yeah. Uh, Skylanders are still going though, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. As uh, I haven't checked recently, Amiibos but... are still going. Mm-hmm. What about mm-hmm. the, the Lego? Lego Dimensions appears to be still going, creating new kits. So really, it was just Disney who just shit the bed and went, "We don't have enough money." <laughs> to do this we are wasting our money yes you do uh, basically like, from the sounds of it they were not particularly shrewd when it came to deciding on uh, this is worth saying because we're never going to do a show on Disney Infinity and these guys were tangentially involved because they made a good game and Disney overbought hulks you know Splendid. there were so many hulks out there and for some reason they seemed to overestimate how many kids wanted hulks and like there were too many interesting because now they're underestimating how many kids want hulks <laughs> too many yondus too many ronan the accusers mm. and uh you know not enough uh what's it groot to uh to, to satisfy demand so uh, you know basically just the shelves were filled with toys people didn't want 
And yeah, the only reason I almost picked up Disney Infinity is because of the Zootopia figures. Of course, yeah, the, the Nick Wilde and, uh, and Judy Hopps ones, yeah, some of the last ones. It, yeah. it, it bugs me that so many of those like gorgeous little figures were made, and it's like, you can play them of a sort. I mean, there's nothing to play them in. You can play them in your toy box. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it feels like from the very beginning that Disney Infinity game should have been you can play any of these guys in any of these games. And, oh, you can't get across here. Like, you, you can't use... There's no Jedi powers with Jack Sparrow to get across. We'll just switch in a Jedi. It's not that much of a problem. Yeah. Well, just be like the uh, the various Lego games. Just you'd have the actual physical tat to switch the characters out. Yeah. Which I guess is actually just Skylanders, or at least the original Skylanders. Yeah. And that depressed me because I spent I spent a lot of money on those little Disney me little guys. They were like little versions of those. Do you remember the the animated maquettes or animaquettes to do with originally Clone Wars, and then they just carried on making like gorgeous little stylized Star Wars characters. What were they called? The little Ami- Disney bows looked like gorgeous little sturdy plastic versions of them, and I got like all the Force Awakens ones looks look fantastic specifically and on all the the, the the Marvel ones and so I was like oh I, I hope they do a Scarlet Witch no they've already cancelled so <laughs> anyway, anything to uh, to avoid getting into the seriously fucking heavy heaviness of this game because uh, yeah. I was going to say I feel like you're kind of dancing around the uh, the direct issue here we are at um, the gates of hell at this point folks so like if you've never <laughs> played Hellblade Sharon's going to give you a warning in a second basically as to sort of like what direction we're going to be going in actually well, before yeah. we do that go for it uh, so oh, this, is Lauren, Lauren, this is Lauren Grieve um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say do you want to introduce Lauren first whom so you might recall from our Sucker Punch episode which is kind of perfect because that was the piece of media I kept on thinking while playing Hellblade yeah the last time I remember hearing you break on a podcast. <laughs> uh, I actually just went back and re-listened to that recently, just after it's we had talked about it. it. It's It still holds up. Speaking of still holds up, segue, uh, the other three games from Ninja Theory, though, I feel like I want we should keep in mind, because like Heavenly Sword and Enslaved are like better than people remember them to be, but they're still not great. And mm-hmm. DMC Double May Cry is actually pretty good mm-hmm. from like a hack and slash perspective. And I feel like that's going to be relevant for when we talk about Hellblade's uh, actual gameplay Yeah, uh, in a little bit. So uh, I, I, to- I had a particular soft spot for Heavenly Sword. I, um, the, the Specifically the cinematics of that and Noriko and Kai's story was and Boham was a fantastic villain by Andy Serkis. And it's one of my favorite PlayStation 3 games. And if you just sit and watch the uh, cutscenes all together, it forms this wonderful, like, you know, subtle and like Conan the Barbarian, but with this female hero who's just really captivating. And they actually made an animated film of it. And it's rubbish. <laughs> it was wow. like I was thinking, oh god, they're they're making this animated film and like they've swapped out um Andy Circus for Alfred Molina and they seem to be changing quite a lot of it and oh the animation doesn't look anywhere as, as good as the game and oh it's rubbish, of course. And it's like well, yeah. you couldn't just have consulted with me and basically like <laughs> here's how to make a really good sorry, a really good heavenly sword movie. You basically just put the cutscenes in. <laughs> it just it's it's so weird. It's like if um uh, if if they made an animated movie of Uncharted 
and it was rubbish. It's it's like, well, Uncharted is so cinematic in its style already. Mm. Why would you bother making an animated Uncharted and it be feeling really cheap and awful? Yeah. That's very relevant, though, because one of the things I want to talk about later is whether this would work if it was more of a uh, just a visual thing. We asked that during To the Moon, and it's totally re- uh, relevant here, and it doesn't have an easy answer. I'd no, like it doesn't. Think. It's not straightforward uh, at all. Oh, yeah. wow. I I have a very specific answer for that, which we'll get to. Um, So, but yeah, but uh, I do want to mention Devil May DMC real quick too before we move on because like I I didn't play Heavenly Sword, I played Enslaved a little bit, but I do know that DMC Devil May Cry is like one of the better like spectacle fighters as far Mm -hmm. as that's concerned, and it's a little unfortunate because it came out right around the same time as Bayonetta, if I remember right. And Bayonetta is the most perfect spectacle fighter, so it kind of like ate DMC's lunch, as it were. Uh, and most <laughs> so people, people don't... didn't like it because... Um... Actually, for some of the reasons they didn't like it, let's go to a much-missed show uh, produced by GameSpot called Feedbackula, uh, presented by Johnny Ciardini, who, by the way, presents Low Batteries, a, uh, a series on uh, dealing with depression and uh, anxiety issues uh, in video games. Yeah, this is what a lot of the fans thought of DMC. If it was the only game on PS3, if it was the last game about DMC, if it was the only game in the market, I am never buying this piece of shit. It's destroying the legacy of all Devil May Cry games without exception. It destroyed the image of Dante and is destroyed the text and storyline, turning it into lame, silly show of nudity. I hate it! A real DMC fan will never accept this beloved game to go to this disgusting level of insulting and about people who talk about 2013 to hell with you have some emotions. Still have zero interest playing as this Dante. Bring back the other guy. He was actually cool. I like the old Dunnet Butter because he has white hair. This Dante has black hair and bad claws. Old Dante for the win. Do you remember back in the day when people who were fans of things actually liked them? This was largely the same crowd that went insane when it turned out that Devil May Cry 4 was also coming to Xbox 360. Because it was wrong that a game that had previously been enjoyed only by them with their Sony PlayStation 2s should then be enjoyed by a tribe whom they had decided were their rivals for purchasing a different system. Yeah, one of the things I'm going to be talking about quite a bit in 2018 is fandom is dead, killed by fans. <laughs> but I mean, all of this stuff, this, is, this does tie in with um, Ninja Theory because... They never, they can't get a break, or they couldn't get a break. They worked for Sony. They did not produce for them the massive system seller that Sony wanted another God of War, I suppose. Because God of War came out on the PlayStation 2 at the tail end, and mm-hmm. it was a huge deal. And Heavenly Sword was already in the making. And Heavenly Sword came out, and everyone was like, it's a bit like God of War. And it's like, no, it's way better than God of War. Like, especially after the original God of War, Kratos is a fucking maniac. Yeah, I still hold that the only God of War game that's worth playing is the very first one. Absolutely. It's the only one with a story where you feel even the remotely sympathetic for the maniac. Um, yeah. Although, yeah. obviously, you've got uh, uh, <laughs> New Kratos with uh. his beard. Risedon! Risedon, fetch Mumsy and Sir Teddington! I've been cucked by Kratos! <laughs> 
Then Enslaved came along, and again, expensive big game, Microsoft in on it this time, didn't make a big splash. And that's a damn yeah. shame, because again, like, I, we watched these all, all of the cutscenes again the other, the other uh, week, Sharon. It's um, Andy Serkis you know, playing Monkey, and mm-hmm. um, it, it direct, I believe it was directed by Tamim Antoniadis, who directed this, and uh, it feels very personal, and again, very subtle, and they, they have a very specific style that's consistent with Senua. Mm-hmm. And DMC is the only one that I haven't actually played of theirs, mainly because of the Devil May Cry fans, and also because like, even if it achieved being like Devil May Cry, I don't even like Devil May Cry when it was Devil May Cry 3, the best yeah. one. I don't like Bayonetta. It's not my kind of game. That's fine. I'm just not into it. But I will play DMC at some point. Um, it's okay not to like exactly. the game. But uh, yeah. I did. I certainly didn't hold off on it because it was like, oh, emo Dante, no. But again, <laughs> so they got it in the neck for producing, for doing Devil May Cry even the least bit differently by the uh, the fans there. So they can't catch a break. So they've decided yes. to go independent and create what they refer to as a AAA independent game. Mm. Continue, Lauren, because you were speaking. There. <laughs> No, no, I was I was going to make a snide comment about how dare they actually make a, a Devil May Cry game that has, like, dynamic motion and uh, pacing. Um, but 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 the thing the other thing is so enslaved, I know, is also real uh, critically well remembered. Yes. Even if it wasn't played very extensively. And DMC is generally considered to be a good game by people who actually have, like, valid opinions on such things. Mm. Um, so, like you said, Ninja Theory just. They they haven't cut a break with like the masses, but they're a bit of a critical darling, I guess you could say. Like a like yeah. reviewed well, like well critiqued, and then I feel like their dip into Disney Infinity was their attempt, like another attempt to be more mainstream, and then that failed, like you were talking about earlier. So then they were just kind of like, screw it, we're doing we're doing our own thing. And that wasn't um, their fault. They did really well at that. Like, well, they did really well at everything. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're like the Leica of video games. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Only, like, uh, was it you, Lauren, who, who was like, don't worry about Leica? Or was it Glenn, who, who was just like, no, 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 don't that worry was Glenn. about it? <laughs> they've, got a basic, they've basically got a business plan that involves making exactly the amount of money that their next film is going to cost. Yeah. That's not, yeah. It's not a bad comparison. Um, it's almost good that they don't become this, like, th- this being them on their own. Mm. I, I, it's, it's almost good that they don't, like... I really would hate, I would hate to see them absorbed by EA and then shat out. If they had real money-making potential, somebody would buy them. Yeah, don't, whatever you do, guys, don't make money. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be successful. Just be moderately successful. Well, interestingly, speaking of EA... It helps if your developers can eat. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of their earlier games was actually uh, done in combination with EA, and it was like a potential that they were going to be one of those like EA studios oh, and I'm God, really glad no. they didn't. they'd be de- they'd be gone by now cuz you know that well, yeah. you know what EA do they're the b- unicronic arts to use <laughs> yeah. Jim Sterling again <laughs> twice in 2 minutes exactly but well either that or hellblade would have had loot boxes in it and I'm yeah! really not sure how that I, 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 okay right folks if you had loot boxes in hellblade we got to 20 minutes with them and we mentioned them what oh, would you find God. in them 
A oh, special God. crown which makes your voices more helpful. Maybe maybe it would be things to dress up Dillian's head. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Or just like a series of uh, cosmetic changes to Senua's costume so you yeah. can make her sexier for you. Mm. Oh, or, oh, or you can oh. pay for goggles that filter out certain of the visions. Nice. <laughs> Oh. And, and help you with puzzles, like automatic puzzle solvers. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my god, that would totally be it because it would completely defeat the entire purpose yeah, of it. Would it would be called empathy dampeners, they'd be called. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Don't oh, like, give them ideas! <laughs> okay. not, not Ninja Theory, obviously, but like EA okay. might be listening. I could what actually I see Sony, I'm not sure about Microsoft, could do this, but Sony could do a trilogy an hd remastered pack of heavenly sword enslaved and dmc Hmm. just in a kind of you know this is their past great things that they've done and if you put in senua's sacrifice as well as that the part of this massive thing that like you know then they get obviously a big chunk of that um for if they did their next game but they'd only really do that if they went with sony heavily again and I, i kind of feel like they shouldn't do that either (laughs) <laughs> yeah but, I think that but these the, are games that the set model, themselves up for HD remasters anyway so continue yeah, well they already uh, re-released DMC oh yeah uh, no, that I knew about one. Yeah. but um, I feel like this is a really good model moving forward this uh, indie AAA even though I'm not super sold on that is like a the phrase to call them. Yeah, I mean... Uh, we stole the AAA equipment on the way out. AAA suggests <laughs> yeah. that there is an, such a thing as an A game, but if no one will admit culpability to being an A game or even a B game, and what the fuck, that, that fid- everything that Jim Sterling plays is a Z game or lower <laughs> on the of the Steam Greenlight stuff. I, again, it always boggles my mind. Why do people make that shit? And why do people waste their time playing that shit as, as, aside from to go, look at this crap? Mm. <laughs> but by AAA, really, what tends to get meant these days is it's the latest iteration in a franchise that's been running for longer than some of its players have been alive. Yeah. AAA I mean, usually it entails somewhat gutless, which this isn't. Ergo, it kind of can't be AAA. Well, AAA specifically in the game industry means that it has a publisher backing it. And okay. then since the publisher is holding the purse strings, they have some kind of say in what's going to happen for the game. And they, yeah. they give notes and things like that. And, I mean, it's kind of like uh, with movies, I'm sure you you probably understand or would know – Examples of that better than me of movies where like the uh, the people who are putting it out give notes back that compromise the film. Mm. Yeah. X Men Origins: Colon Wolverine. Yeah, there's a good example. Yeah. It's, it's basically uh, and, the equivalent of a studio movie, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And so publishers, uh, in a lot of ways, have a lot of pull, and they're in it to make money for them and their stakeholders. And does that uh, make that's Logan they... a independent AAA movie? <gasps> Ooh, one where right. the studio kept the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. In in a in a sense, at least as far as uh, like the in terms of execution, yeah. Obviously, this was in fact backed by Fox, and it wasn't. Um, so, what they mean when they say AAA game is that this is the kind of game you could expect if you were given a AAA game. It's just that it's independently produced. Yes. Also, notably, it was released digital only to begin with. That will probably change in the future. It's been successful enough. Which, of course, keeps their costs down. And it was price-adjusted to twenty four ninety nine in the UK, which is less than half what the average AAA game retails at in boxed form, something like a Call of Duty. So it is attractively and comfortably priced for a more medium-sized game, straight out of the gate. And, and in this case, it's also specifically published by Ninja Theory, who are also the developers, which is the telltale of an indie game. Of course. As far as, like... Yeah. 
So they, they funded it, they put it out, they designed it, they did everything. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, this game released on my birthday this past year. Nice. It was a good birthday present for myself. Excellent. Wow, what a way to spend the day. Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> Sobbing. <laughs> well, well this, is, this is one of those things, Alex, actually. I'm, I feel like I'm way more inured to this kind of media than you are. And when somebody mentioned that you were going to be doing this game, my initial thought was, Oh God, I feel like I need to be on there. Go with that impulse. (laughs) That was very wise, Lauren. Thank you very much for coming on. Seriously, thank you. Okay, Sharon, yeah. you had a warning. I like, did, uh, yes. <laughs> 25 minutes. Following Sorry. the longest introduction in the history of, uh, of School of Everything Else. Okay. So, so basically, a couple of things that I wanted to mention before we got into this proper. Um, the first thing is just a brief discuss- uh, discussion of the, uh, the warning screen at the beginning of this game. Now, um, it, it basically says... Um, that uh, the game depicts experiences of uh, mental illness, including psychosis, anxiety, and um, and other things, and that if you have illnesses of that nature, that you are being warned about playing it and the decision that you have to make to play mm. it. Now, the that kind of made me bristle a little bit when I first saw it because the thought that came into my head is that mental illness is not like epilepsy. It's not as simple as there are strobe lights in this game. If you watch it, you might have a fit. It Not everybody is going to know that what they experience is going to be replicated in this, what they um, they understand their mental illness to be. They might not have a formal diagnosis. It might not be as straightforward as I know this is this is going to make me feel um, off or uh, trigger things or make me feel uncomfortable or, you know, make me feel worse. Or as was pointed out in, um, what was the name of the chap who did the video we saw tonight? Uh, Leonardo De Cicci. Okay. <laughs> I suspect that's a pen name, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, his um, his videos are, are under the title of Sid Course, and I really really would recommend watching his subscribed on, uh, Hellblade. Awesome, gorgeously put together. Um, but uh, one thing that he he mentions is the the idea that he might have played this, and it might have made him feel worse. It might have made him feel better. And there's there is another topic to be discussed about whether playing certain games can help with um, mental illness and and, um, mental health issues. So the the fact that they had a warning just initially made me feel a bit, okay, are you qualified to do this? Are you you able to to sort of put this across in a way that's that's going to be safe and that's going to be comfortable? Because ultimately with this kind of thing, you can't like... It's not like with a child being shut, like being being told this this film may have you know sex and violence in it, and you mm. can just watch it before the child sees it and then judge for yourself. Yeah, you literally have to weigh up whether what you're going to experience is going to be worth it, and the only way how is to play is it. To play and, it, and that's and that that's it. something yeah. that I think, um, Alex. I don't know if you want to just take over and say what you were going to say about the, the idea of spoilers. Um, but I mean, I, a lot of what I'm going to say, um, in the course of this is to do with my own personal experience and how my own mental health issues interacted with how I experienced this game. I, I don't think anybody, um, who has any experience of mental health issues from the mildest to the most severe could talk about this game without getting very personal. Yeah, 
and also it's, it would do a disservice to your viewpoint to, mm. to not get personal, to yeah. only be uh, impersonal and matter of fact about it. Yeah. Indeed. You, uh, you could just describe the gameplay mechanics, but they're so integral to what the game is trying to communicate that if you separate them out, it becomes utterly pointless. You might as well not bother playing it. So anyway, we're so, going to go through the game in order of events, since it is a very linear adventure with only a few choices on what order to tackle yeah. various sections. I would suggest for the majority who haven't played this that you start listening with us here and break off at the point where you think, I have to play this. And then rejoin us after you're finished, which should take about eight to ten hours over, we would suggest, four nights. Yes. Don't try to Break play this all up. in one don't go or this. even two. If you don't reach that point, if it sounds like this game that is going to be too arduous for you and you're just like, you know what, I don't need to play the game, I'll just carry on listening to the end, then we hope we can convey how the game feels accurately and uh, what it does to you mentally, physically and emotionally. Uh, as well as getting to the thematic heart and how well it succeeded with its aims for the three of us. But to do that, we have to get personal about it. We have to <laughs> compare and contrast it with other things that have done this to us. Mm. We have to explain how it, how its content applies to us. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that every single other one of our listeners is here for exactly that. I would say My apologies, that. Lord Beefius. Yes. <laughs> oh, Lord Beefius was uh, a guy who uh, gave us a one-star review on iTunes uh, who said, Mostly the pod is criticism as viewed through the lens of a personal relationship with the films and is as shallow and devoid of anything noteworthy to set itself apart from the myriad of other pop culture critique shows. If you folks uh, feel like giving us a five-star review for doing precisely what he hates, which is to talk about what, how these films affect us personally, um, we're on iTunes under School of Movies. And uh, always love five-star reviews. Or, you know, four-star. I know I can be annoying. I, I do know that. I hope it's worth it. And if you're not going to play the game, even after listening to the whole conversation, I still recommend looking up a video or two of the possibly the gameplay or something, because there's a lot of really good visual Mm. like they put an incredible amount of work into the visual polish of not even just the cutscenes, but also the actual moment to moment gameplay that like even if you're not going to play it, it's pretty stunning to see and you kind of owe it to yourself just to see how it's designed how that art style is mm. i think and when actually when i was listening to you guys on year of steam uh with uh laura who we really tried to get on the show but she was too busy laura kate dale um she she wanted to be on and this can you know, this you know games talking about mental health most definitely interests her and clearly this game had an effect but i found that while listening to year of steam Watching the game itself while I was listening to you guys really brought it to life. It was like a commentary. So um, if you guys are, are near YouTube and you want to stick this Hellblade Center of Sacrifice on while we're talking about it, it might be a great kind of visual like to, to give you all the cues to what we're discussing. Mm. Yeah, maybe so. I appreciated that there was a trigger warning mm. at the beginning mm. just because it's like, oh, wow, this okay, this game is not exactly what i was thinking going into it kind of thing where it's like oh it's gonna get deep it's gonna get dark okay let's see like even though it 
like I, I get what you're saying about like you know how how are you going to be able to judge whether or not it's going to affect you. I still appreciate a trigger warning like that just so I know I can brace myself oh, going into absolutely. it. Absolutely, I I absolutely agree that that it's right that it was there, but it was just that in that moment. Bear in mind at this point, I knew nothing about it. I I literally Certainly. knew nothing about this game other than its title going mm. in. Yeah, um, which I'm actually really glad about because it it really let me take it on. Um, in a relatively pure form um but it was just that that thing and then one other thing which i'll talk about in a minute that that just kind of put my hackles up to start with they were well and truly settled um eventually but it just it just meant i i went in kind of a little bit on edge a trigger warning specifically says we are aware that what we're doing might mess you up and that's not necessarily a good thing yeah uh, the we saw something else with the trigger warning. Uh, the uh, what, past couple of days uh, we saw Bright, which is made by Trigger Warning Entertainment, which itself uh, is um, kind of the opposite of a trigger warning. What it's making that statement there is we're going to fuck you up. We're going to do shit like eating babies and like there's nothing you can do about it because that's what we're all about shock. And that's the opposite because that's saying we don't have much going. And the only way we can get attention is to do fucked up shit. And uh, the the kind of people that respond with derision to the idea of being triggered are severely lacking in empathy. Hmm. I mean, I have to use a trigger warning in one of my classes because we talk about the experience of rape on a patient's psychology. Mm. Like, it's like, look, I, I don't know any of your backgrounds. This is a thing that's going to come up on this day. If that's going to be a problem for you, then, like... You are excused from that class. Like, it's fine. Like, mm. you know. It is a signifier of compassion. Yeah. And yeah. to, to well, us, we would signify compassion. That to others is virtue signaling, which is to it's, say that you have compassion to show off. It's basically the equivalent of um, very intense underground theme park experiences where they have exit doors. Yeah. Just before you're about to get into the... Doom buggy. Intense stuff. <laughs> um, they have doors that say, basically, if you think this is going to be too much, you might want to step out here. Yeah, Universal, you might want to put a bench outside your fucking <laughs> Hogwarts ride, you complete bastards. Indeed. <laughs> okay, so, um, because I feel like it's particularly relevant to what we're about to discuss, I just wanted to um, kind of outline... For anybody who might not know what my standpoint is as far as um, mental health issues are concerned. So basically, I am currently training to be a therapeutic counsellor, about three quarters of the way through a diploma in it. And it effectively, just to sort of tell you what that is, it's like professional emotional support is probably the best way I can I can describe it simply. It's similar to psychotherapy, but I'm not medically trained and I read a lot about the things that feed into it, but the responses that I had to this game and to the, the concepts that are covered within it are they're not I'm not trying to put them across here as qualified psychological expertise at all. These are my responses from lived experience. Now, that said, this is a first-person perspective of mental illness, which is mine. It won't match everyone else's. 
It may not match anyone else's and that's absolutely fine. Everybody's experience of these things are going to be different. So I've had postnatal depression. I have recurring depression and anxiety, including social anxiety. Um, I sometimes experience dissociation, um, which is where you lose a sense of the the world around you. It's almost like um, the best way I can describe it is like when your ears pop, you can't really hear properly Mm. when I experience the kind of dissociation that I do it's like I can't feel properly it's like my my senses have popped um and and things don't feel the way they should and they don't sound the way they should and it it makes it difficult to to sort of feel as though you're in a, a real space um I also have um obsessive compulsive thoughts and behaviors sometimes and one of the things that this game really made me appreciate is how uh, mental illness is not something that you can divide up neatly into boxes. It's not you have this disorder and therefore you experience this and you have this disorder and therefore you experience this. Um, it's it, it's more of a sliding scale. Um, so the the idea of the intrusion of unwanted imagery and negative internal voices, although I have no personal experience of psychosis, and I've never had visual or auditory hallucinations that actually felt like they were coming from outside me. That idea of unwanted imagery and, and voices that that are in your head telling you to do things was something that I related to um, very strongly. Um, and as a result, the game evoked a lot of responses in me that it might not evoke in people who haven't had those feelings themselves. Or it might. I mean, the whole point of it is to try and give those feelings and an appreciation for those feelings to people who maybe don't experience them. So all the, the mental illness symptoms that I've experienced in my life, I saw somewhere in this game. And I just, I, I wanted to make that clear before we get into this. Again, your mileage may vary. Not everybody will have the same feelings or experiences, but that's where I stand on this. And uh, if if I could further uh, cement the expertise of the, the those of us on the podcast here, I have a I have a degree in psychology, specializing in abnormal psychology. I myself have dealt with quite a bit of depression, anxiety, panic attacks, uh, intrusive thoughts, suicidal ideation, like the whole nine. And uh, I have actually experienced hallucinations caused by delirium, secondary to um, hyperthermia. Well. Uh, a fever high enough to start cooking my brain, essentially. Uh, so I am right there with you, Sharon, and just wanted to say that I have a very similar experience. Uh, so hopefully the two of us can really add a lot to the conversation. So we're going to begin on a small log boat that uh, Senua paddles to the shores of hell itself. Now, um, because there's very little preamble, you have to pick up everything as you go. I was under the impression that Senua was from Norse culture to begin with. Um, she's told repeatedly about Norsemen. I believe that that was because she'd been exiled so much of her life that she hadn't been able to pick up enough about her own culture but she is of course a Pict she is Celtic in origin and the the whole point of her real world torment is that the Northmen have come and um, the the Vikings have ransacked her village while she was away in exile was she just taking herself away on purpose there, she wasn't actually cast out by the village 
I think she was sent away by her father. Right. Okay. So, so, um, that specific. So, ah, man, the whole story. She's actually cast out, or she leaves a village. Two different villages. Yeah. That one in particular is Dillian's village. Yeah. Where she did exile herself, That's but it I was thought. to fight the darkness and to like better find and understand herself. And I think that's where she meets Druth. Yeah. Uh, who tells her about the Northmen. Um, so she actually makes then, some progress while she's away and then comes back to find the whole place shattered. Yeah. Yeah. You can uh, expi- explain who Druth is to. Like, basically, we're going to have to kind of imagine that pe- most people listening won't have played it. It's a very simple game. It's it, oh, yeah. despite the the myriad complexity of what you're being put through. It, it, it's, it's a, it comes down to a woman has gone to hell to bring back. Is it, is it to, to ostensibly to, ostensibly to, to, to recover? Her. Uh, her her love, Dillian. Um, it's which obviously that that ties in with Orpheus and Eurydice and like a lot of ancient mythology. Do you want me to just go over her backstory right up front here so would, we can yeah. keep it in mind? Uh, yeah, so, but only as much as you find out at the beginning of the game because uh, we okay. have to go with this blow by blow, like allowing people to go. You know what? I think I'm going to play this mm. one. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Okay. Well, at the beginning of the game, you only find out that she is she is seeking out the gates to Helheim yeah. uh, to bring back Dillian's soul because he was sacrificed by Northmen to their gods. And remembering the stories from Druth, who was a fellow uh, Celtic individual who was a slave of the Northmen for a while and learned all of their myths and stories, he had escaped and met Senua in her self-imposed exile and died somewhere along the way. So she's remembering his stories in the game. It's it's through visual and voiceover. Um, so she, from the stories from Druth, think that she has to carry Dillian's head, the seat of his soul, into Helheim and basically ask slash fight Hela for Dillian's soul to be released from the Northman's hell mm. so it's he not, can go to the Celtic hell yeah it's I think that's that's kind of important it's not that she specifically wants to bring him back to life it's that she wants to free him so that he can go on yeah so that he won't be an internal bonds exactly and I yeah. think the 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 fact that the culture that she explores her experiences through is one which is alien to her is important yeah. because as as a Pict, the Norsemen, the the Vikings are an invading culture to her. This is this is not her people. Uh, this is not her faith, and I think that that kind of reflects the fact that the imagery in her visions and what she experiences are um, they are intrusive and threatening, and they're meant to be, and. There's a discrepancy between that that sort of vision of faith and the gods, which I think would have been slightly softened if it was her own yeah. culture, her the, what she'd grown up with, what but was natural to her. Strictly speaking, she doesn't seem to exhibit any particularly strong faith of herself, which is very pertinent considering mm-hmm. her father is the the lead druid the in druid. The, uh, the the village. He's the one that the others look to for their. Um, in a religious direction. Mm. Uh, did I misread that? Or was no, that... no, that's he's, no, he's, no. The, he's effectively the priest for the village. Right. Well, the shame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name's uh, Zinbel. If you're Zimbel. interested, that's the one. Yeah. So I suspect that we're going to come back to 
talk about this a little bit later, but uh, as a quick aside, I read fairly recently an evolutionary biology text talking about uh, the use of different psychological disorders in like ancient man mm-hmm. and the suggested kind of evolutionary use for psychosis specifically is in the religious mm-hmm. part of like ancient man and I find it curious that well not curious but I find it like very well put that Senua is the daughter of Zinbel and uh, Galena who are the they were the religious like leaders of their little village and Galena also had psychosis but she was uh, kind of at peace with it Okay, uh, it feels like you're jumping ahead because you definitely don't well, find no, that I, out early, do you? I, well, you don't you don't find that out early. You don't really find that out at all. Like, but it is very it, relevant so information I, for later. Oh on. well, a lot of what happens to her. But I, I just wanted to specifically say that the fact that they are probably a family that goes back generations as being this religious family, mm-hmm. like these religious leaders in their in their village, and the psychosis runs through them is is interesting it makes me think that they really did their homework uh like even more so than other things in the game well there is there is definitely that sense of overlap between um psychosis and faith um specifically in the delusional element of psychosis um and on on that note by the way um now would probably be a good time just to go over the difference between psychotic and psychopathic which are terms which are too frequently used interchangeably and they're not Um, so psychosis which is what this game primarily explores along with other uh, mental disorders and mental illness is a uh, a severe discrepancy between what the person perceives and what objective reality is um, and it can manifest itself as, as um, hallucinations whether that be visual or auditory um, or smells um, and there's also a, a delusional aspect of it where um, sometimes people can become convinced that certain things are true, even if they're, they're not, even if they have evidence to the contrary. Um, and that is something that becomes important to the gameplay as well because there's a, there's a, a tendency to look for patterns which aren't there. Um, this links in with obsessive compulsive disorder, which is kind of like a, a light this version is what of I that. Mean, this is exactly what I mean about yeah, the I've got to scale. turn the light on and off 18 times before I leave the room, otherwise I might die if that... Absolutely. That and kind the, of the intrusive thoughts spe- that lie specificity behind of belief, that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and conspiracy theorists, interestingly enough. But anyway, that's, an ent- <laughs> that's a story for another podcast. Well, you can actually go into it a little bit, actually. Well, how how no, they, all, they obsess I mean over patterns not, that they perceive. Yeah, I'm not trying to suggest that all conspiracy theorists are psychotics. But the, the point is <laughs> that it is, a, um, it is a natural human tendency. It exists in every single human being's brain. It, it's what enables us, as newborn babies, to look at a human face and pick out the pattern that says mm. that is a human face and I should probably stick close to that. It's a survival mechanism. But in some people, it becomes distorted overactive. and overactive yeah. and exacerbated um, and and gets to the point where it, it causes difficulty and it makes it hard for you to interact with the real world. So that's psychosis. And if you are described as psychotic, that's because, you know, that's the experience of psychosis. Psychopathy which is somebody who is described as psychopathic, is a completely different thing. Um, it involves a disorder which means that your empathy is, is very severely reduced. Um, and uh, The difference between that and sociopathy? 
sociopathy and psychopathy, Lauren, back me up on this, but I believe they're pretty much interchangeable these days. Yeah, psychopathy and sociopathy are, are interchangeable in, in pretty much every circumstance. Yeah, uh, it, it generally, sociopathy used to be used as sort of a, a more minor form, but I think they, they are effectively the same thing. And I yeah. will say that um, uh, it, it seems churlish or, or, or flippant to, uh, to suggest that um, go to a YouTube comment section and one might imagine that psychopathy and a severe lack of empathy is actually spreading like fucking wildfire. But it's very difficult to argue mm. with people who are very difficult to argue with. Yes. Um, yeah. And... Like we've been really inundated by it in the past few years, uh, specifically within the gaming community. This mm. is relevant. The fact that this is a video game that asks you to empathize is effectively the opposite of what these fuckers are peddling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, like the I refuse to empathize with anyone versus, no, no, no. Here. <laughs> Here is a really unpleasant, lengthy time inside the mind of somebody very vulnerable. Mm. And I think that feeds into the discussion about why or if it is important that this is a game mm-hmm. and not a movie okay. or a TV show. And, and the movie equivalent, in a sense, since we're talking about it, would be like American Psycho is like a really good depiction of psychopathy – like and I believe that this is a really good depiction of psychosis. Hmm. Um, As so in, it's, uh, it's, uh, American Psycho is a, a really good uh, depiction of complete and total lack of empathy with other human beings. Yeah, I was gonna say that character is just uh, like they, they again they did their homework. It, it, like it represents a lot of the uh, different symptoms and and, si- and, and uh, telltale signs of psychopathy, um, like to a T. Like he does a really good job playing it in the movie and it's like genuinely frightening uh to think. But and since it's also a critique of American culture in a lot of ways and how it kind of breeds that sociopathy, it's I, I don't, it's super relevant to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. There are social elements to this which I think are incredibly relevant as well, but I don't want to say them right now because they are spoilery. There there aren't many really good depictions of psychosis in cinema that's set out to be so. Mm. Gollum, to a degree, Mm. is a really great example of a character that we spend sustained amounts of time with and are asked to empathise with despite his behaviour. The problem then becomes that Tolkien shits the bed by making him a plain-dealing villain. Yes. That was Tolkien's decision and, and ultimately Jackson and co. had to go with it. And it should be mentioned that Gollum is specifically also a depiction of multiple personality disorder, which, which is a whole right. separate thing from psychosis as well. And but psychosis there are elements can be of that in terms of what Gollum tells himself about the world and what Smeagol tells himself about the world. This this is true. This is true. And and uh, psychosis can also be secondary to other things. Mm-hmm. So the specific psychosis we're talking about is more genetic and uh, idiopathic, they would call it. But you can get uh, psychosis or psychotic behavior from uh, like ICU visits or severe illness or uh, severe trauma. And th- there's a lot of other things that can cause psychosis as a secondary symptom, but it's also possible that it's just idiopathic psychosis that you just live with. And that's what we're talking about specifically for this game. Yeah. Uh, what of uh, Laura Linney's brother in Love Actually? Was that a very like lightly I could, explored I could see elements version? of that there, actually, yeah. The, in fact, there was um, a woman in one of the documentary videos that we watched, um, some footage from from 
I'm guessing sometime in the 50s, mm. um, who was given as an example of somebody who's experiencing psychosis, and she reminded me of him a lot. Right, okay. never be respected as an author. I think part of the reason why it's difficult to portray this kind of thing in any form of media is that a lot of the a lot of the imagery that's used and a lot of the ideas of of how the hallucinations manifest themselves are used all the goddamn time they're used as storytelling devices they're used as uh, narrative quirks they're used as metaphor allegory fantasy is permeated with it um, and that is a massive strength of this game and I think this may feed into um, the, the, in, in creating Hellblade there was consultation that went on with people who actually experience um, mental health issues generally mental illness and psychosis specifically and they, from the sounds of things, they listened to them really, really well. And they, they tried really hard to, to kind of, not obviously not replicate, but convey their experiences as closely as they could. And they sat and watched it back afterwards. And almost universally, everybody was saying that it really felt um, that they'd, they'd got it across incredibly well. Um, and you mentioned that apparently there were uh, people who who had experience of psychosis who played the game and couldn't see anything out of place about it because everything in it just happened to be in line with what it, they exactly with the it world. fell into place with with how they see the world. Did you say that they watched it being played because that's different? It is to exactly, playing it. and that is something that I'm going to talk about. There was somebody playing the game in front of them, so mm. they, they basically their experience was was what three quarters of your experience was, which was sitting and watching somebody else play the game, just like a casual. Mm. Sorry, <laughs> I got to lighten the mood somehow, well, I right? Think, I think that. That's, that's significant because the gameplay is really, really important to, to how this is, is put across. Um, but I think that part of why it may have felt so so natural and so real um, and to those people and to an extent to me as well, like I said, everything I've experienced in that field was, was there. I could see it in some form or another. But the fantasy setting or the, the technically it's a historical setting. Yeah. But we perceive it as a fantasy setting. Because it's so removed from our own. Exactly. And like I said... And because that apparently is... fantastical things are happening. Exactly. And that's imagery that we're used to and we know. And especially if we're gamers. we, we... <laughs> Can I mention that other game? Yes. Okay. Please do. This game already exists, effectively. Um, Lauren, cast your mind back. Do you remember Dante's Inferno? Of course I do. I'm one of the few people, I think, that's played that through the whole way, like, in one sitting with other people watching me. Could you describe I, it, having actually played it? Because I've only... I'm talking about it from the uh, outside. So, the thing I remember most vividly from Dante's Inferno, the the 
ridiculously mediocre spectacle fighter uh, is really the thing I remember most vividly is Satan's giant floppy dong during the last combat. Well, of course, that's the important thing. Um, yeah, I mean, like, but it's whoo. about um, a, a, a Templar knight whose lady love is taken from him yeah. by Satan, and she's going to he, he's going to have his way with her, and so he has to fight his way through all seven circles of hell, uh, yeah. as as written by Dante, um, yeah. not from Devil May Cry, uh, and uh, yeah. well, so it may as well have been. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as written by Virgil. Oh, sorry, sorry. Dante's or, or is Virgil? By- no, I'm sorry. No, it's written by Dante, but Dante Allegari. But uh, Virgil's the character in the book. Okay, that yeah, right, showing sorry. I was confused. And, and in the game, I was confused. So you're playing um, Virgil the Knight, who who killed no. a million demons to get. No, to so that's that's the thing that's bizarre about that game. Is, is he called Dante? Playing- Yes, the Brilliant. main character Knight is called Dante. So this is like and a Don Quixote thing, where it's Don Quixote is Alonso Quijana, and he's writing Don Quixote in prison. That's <laughs> but your character is called Cervantes. What? <laughs> no, Cervantes is in Soul Calibur. <laughs> So, so the the thing that I that find that would have been really confusing. Funny. Certainly, don't want two characters in this exact same game style called Dante. Oh, obviously. I mean, yeah. Does he have uh, white well, hair and bad clothes? So, so the Divine Comedy, the books. No, that's uh, a band. Da- wait, wait, wait. It's about Dante trying to get back to, with his love, who is in heaven, and to get there, he has to go through hell. In the Inferno, Purgatorio, and then Paradiso, okay. and that's the whole like the whole. Does he comedy. have to fight but everyone? All... Well, no, he doesn't. In the books, it's just like a travelogue almost mm-hmm. of of Virgil like carry of like going on this like nice walk. Day four, reach Purgatory. It's not all. It's all right. Cat's <laughs> it's fine. The not fantastic. <laughs> Location three. <laughs> yeah. On your left, you'll see the giant pool of boiling demons. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the the game, though, is a reimagining, quote unquote, uh, of that story, but like in the most edgelordy way possible. <laughs> I mean, like Dante in this in the in the game isn't like a well-read like intellectual. He's this like super swole knight Templar who did bad things and sewed a cross into his chest that is permanently red with his blood. Oh. And the first thing you do is you fight death and you kill death and take his scythe because that's super awesome edgelordy bullshit was this the one which ea it is of course ea folks how could it not be ea um was this the <laughs> one where ea sacrificed a goat as part of the pr was that god of war 3 so the pr for dante no, 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 no. Is kind sharon's of laughing because i'm thinking that because uh, uh, the whole saying sacrificed a goat sounds like a fun little exaggeration they fucking are you serious? No, I don't think they sacrificed it, but they, they staged the sacrificing of a goat, and every journalist got a bit of goat. Well, that's the thing is, I wouldn't have been surprised if that was the case because Dante's Inferno is like legendary for the PR. Oh no! So, like, yeah, I remember the PR now. Didn't they send every journalist a check for a hundred dollars, and it's like, will you commit the sin of avarice and take I, this hundred dollars and say our game is good, or will you not cash it? I think it was even more. Blunt than that, and it was six hundred and sixty-six dollars. Oh my goodness me! But so other out- outlets like the Escapist and Polygon, I think they got sent a box, a wooden crate that constantly played. I'm pretty sure it was Rick Astley uh, until you smashed it with a hammer, and <laughs> and, and that and was rats. I'm assuming. And on the inside, there there was like this thing saying, you know, oh, you've given in to the sin of wrath. 
and and they did another one at EA or a, a E3 that was like basically go perform sexual assault on the booth babes and get pictures of it and like, yeah they did that i remember oh my folks God. i was this was when Sydney. me and tony and paul were starting out on digital cowboys and we were just filled with disgust at the time yeah and the game the game is like actually somewhat playable like it's not too bad it's like a nice six seven oh, the, out of the, ten the checks were for two hundred dollars by the way were they ah oh, each they're, check they're... was mailed in wooden boxes decorated with twin wooden skeletons and the words dante's inferno it fixed onto a velvet pillow inside a box inside the top of the box was a welcome to the fourth circle of hell which reads in dante's inferno greed is a two-headed beast hoarding wealth feeds on Feeds on beast and squandering it satiates the other. Oh, feeds one beast. Feeds one beast. Feeds on beast. By cashing <laughs> the, this check, you succumb to avarice by harding, hard, hoarding, not harding, filthy lucre. But by not cashing it, you waste it and thereby surrender uh, to prodigality. Right, no, no, no. They don't know how checks work. Yeah, no. Unless you cash it, it's just a piece of paper. How about you, you cash it and give it to charity? That's what a lot of, of the more stand-up journalists did. Make your choice and suffer the consequences for your sin and scoff not for consequences are imminent. See, like, frankly, loot box chicanery is, like, like... <laughs> Basic compared with the shit that went on in 2007. And where, pray tell, was it's all about ethics in video game journalism then? I can tell you right now, a lot of the guys rallying to that cry were only 10 years old at the time. And far too busy swearing at grown-ups on Call of Duty and insulting their mothers. So, Continue. So to, so, so to pull it back, I think, the... the, the um, the, my the my point line. was that this was Senua's sacrifice done really badly. Yeah, I was going to say this would You're be like what Senua's sacrifice. Monster, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say this is this would be what Senua's sacrifice was if EA had published it. Yeah, and, and had like compromised. Thank God, Ninja to, Theory got away. Ninja Theory just go not like this, not like this. <laughs> Sorry for that horrible diversion, folks, but I just wanted to kind of, like, highlight the differences in approach within the same industry. Mm. We've come a long way, baby. (laughs) Not really, though. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you you got dangerously close to something that I want to bring up about Hellblade, though, which is great. Um, So... This game is part of my like uh, uh, my new favorite pseudo genre of game, which is where it uses the language and like gameplay tropes of one genre to completely deliver something else. Mm. There's a few games I could think of, and what I mean by that is Hellblade. Okay, it's literally called Hellblade. The yeah. first game that Ninja Theory made was called Heavenly Sword. No. Do you see the parallel? Ah. No, so. Nice. It, it was published, it was named, it was uh, presented as a hack-and-slash, possibly, like, Souls-like uh, fighter, like, third-person fighter. And it uses all of the, like, um, the Ludo, the ludic uh, tropes and, and all of the visual concepts of that genre, but it's actually one of the best walking simulators I've ever played. Yeah. Essentially, because it's it's very linear. It's actually really hard to die. There's no consequence for dying, even if you do. And uh, like like it, it's surprisingly humanely designed. Because because 
anybody can beat this game. The way that they designed the difficulty, it adapts to you. If you're having trouble, it makes it easier. If you're kicking its butt, then it makes it harder. So it always has the right level of challenge. There's literally no consequences for failure in any point. If you get knocked down in combat, you just hit a button a a couple of times and you get back up and get back into it. So you don't necessarily Uh, have to get good. Right. But it it was presented, even in the game, in the very beginning, uh, you get a message saying... Well, okay, right, folks, this is kind of a bit of a spoiler. So, like, if you're thinking of maybe playing this game... Like, now might be the first jump-off point. Yeah, because what we're about to say is not a spoiler, because it's right up front, but what we will say after that most definitely is. Yeah, and it's not like a big spoiler, like, oh, you've ruined the game. It just takes out something which you would have been worrying about. It it it, it is also, or it was also widely reported in most video yeah. game outlets, so this might be something that's already been spoiled for a lot of people. But in the very beginning of the game, Senua gets this, like, black... Uh, like corruption up her one arm and it slowly grows up her arm and you you the player get a message that says if the corruption ever reaches the seat of her soul her head then uh, she will be lost forever and your save will be deleted and that is a lie that does not happen you like it it will never and cannot happen in the game so it's presenting this situation where it looks like this tough as nails fighter and uh, it's none of those things at all. And for me, it fits so well in that concept of, like, Gone Home used all of the ludic tropes of first-person horror titles. Super Hot uses all – oh, I, I should say, but then Gone Home delivers a really emotionally uh, heavy, like, coming-of-age story for LGBT youth with no supernatural elements at all. And then uh, Super Hot delivers a, like, a, a really – uh, kind of deep meta t- uh, narrative about like what it kind of means for like to be a person, like what consciousness is and how like the 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 mind is software and the the meat is just the hardware of the body, and it's delivered in all of the ludic language of a shooter, but it's actually a puzzle game. Mm. And it's just I, – I love this kind of this, – this modern take of using well-worn genre tropes of certain games to then deliver a completely different experience. And, and I think Hellblade is one of the absolute best examples of that. Would we say Undertale also fits that bill? I would say yes because the, the, the ludic language, so to speak – of Undertale is a lot of bullet hell and a lot of dungeon crawlers, mm. but the thing you should be doing are neither of those things, really. Mm. Um, like, you can... Interestingly enough, for Undertale, you can play it that way. In much the same way that in Super Hunt, you can turn off the time-only moves when you do and just play it as a shooter. But it's it's vastly diminished if you play it that way and not the intended way. There is a however to what you just said, though. While Mm. anyone can finish this, there are games that I play when I decide this is unbearable. (laughs) And as it got to the middle end, um, when we were just like plowing, just like pushing and pushing and pushing against the combat, we started to get to that point where we were dying more often than not. And it was um, like we'd beat three guys and then die and then we'd beat two guys and then die and then we'd die on the first guy and it was like we're getting worse and worse and worse at this we're going to have to put it down mm. um, and ultimately that that can that can end the game sometimes 
There was like uh, Biohazard. I will never find out what happens much past the first or so, uh, like act and a half of that game because I got into the the chainsaw fight with that guy and I was just hammering at it for an hour and it was like no matter which way I approach this, I watched Let's Plays. This game is not going to let me beat this guy. And when you're playing a really like like draining combat game to people who just are used to soldiering on through it and just go well this is fine like who can separate themselves from what's going on that that's fine for them but for me I start to wonder if it's worth it at all and there were many times while playing this that I thought if this was not a commission show and it is but if this was not a commission show I wonder how much I'd continue with this mm, yeah I think a, a lot of where that comes from for me because there were moments when I had similar feelings I think they were fewer and further between simply because I engaged so much with the puzzle aspects of the game and the puzzle aspects of the game also wore me down and I handed yeah, over the joke see, that's what I mean you, you. you you got stressed out by the puzzles as well for me it was it was purely the combat that was the bit that I had the difficulty with um, and they they threw me out of the immersion that I I was in Enjoying, enjoying is really not a word engaged I can apply. <laughs> yeah, engaged with um, the the immersion that I was engaged with so so heavily. Um, but whenever I got into a combat section, that it would throw me out totally. Now I I don't do combat in games, and when I say I don't do, I mean I don't like. You're not going to get good. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to get good. Just like a um, casual. And it it part of the the difficulty for me was that the the mechanics of the game. All of them do replicate certain experiences with mental illness and mental distress. And to just keep battling on was so antithetical to my experiences of, um, of mental illness, particularly um, my, my depressive episodes and my anxiety attacks. When I was younger, I used to fight and 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 it didn't work. And I get that that's what they're putting across. The problem is that I've already done all of that. And I now know that that is not the way to get through these that in actual fact a lot of the time I need to be able to outthink it or work around it or just lie down and wait for it to pass and the fact that I did not have any of those options available to me threw me out of the game because it felt like I've I've done this I've worked this out and it, it doesn't feel right that you're making me go through it and over again and I the, the puzzle elements of the game that I really loved reminded me of something like um, the Room or Year Walk, both games of which I absolutely adore, and they are combatless. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we will come back to that uh, that narrative you just described. Actually, I think at the end, because mm-hmm. for a person who didn't go through that in a personal way, I feel like what you just described is in your youth, fighting and fighting and fighting and plowing your way through it until you eventually had to, like, not give up, but you had to like become at peace with it is specifically represented by the ending yes and uh one of the things i think is interesting about this oh sorry that's the i word one of the things i think is really well considered We've avoided it so far <laughs> about this game 
is uh, that it presents itself as this tough as nails, impossible to beat, get good kind of thing. But it's humanely designed to, in the way that if you keep pushing against it, and yes, like it, it can be very emotionally draining. It is very emotionally draining. It's not actually fun, which I want to come back to in a second. Um, but you, any, I feel like anyone can push through to the end. It's just whether or not you want to necessarily give it the time or uh or, or if you're held back by the actual visuals and the, the the thematics of what's going on like obviously uh goes back to the trigger warning but for like the average dude bro gamer who would be going to it it's like you can beat this game without any like real issue there's no consequences for falling at some point but that's the thing you the average dude bro gamer is not going to be playing with the handicaps i am Mm. Uh, but this was presented, like I said before, it was presented kind of for that dude bro gamer. One might say it was presented in a way that was uh, specifically to pull in certain people that it wanted to get the message across to, but didn't actually cater towards, much like a movie that I remember uh, us talking about <laughs> sometime. It, one might call the uh, the impact of the story a, a sucker punch to the individual <laughs> who the but what movie was it? Very. You know, I, I think it was Boss Baby. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Boss Baby, of course. So, yes, but, watch it so, twice. So the game that this actually, I think, rem- it, it has the most in common with, in a lot of ways, is Spec Ops The Line. Yeah. That because occurred to me too. It is using the language of one kind of game genre to get a point across. It is not fun to play, which is an interesting... Uh, yeah, it is a problem with some serious games like this because games are intended or at least most people think that they're intended to be fun that's the point of a game but these games that have something else going on they have a point they have a theme they have a narrative they have something that they're trying to get across that is not itself fun are they then become not fun games to play there's other things to hook on to in all games that are doing a, a, a competent job like this but aren't trying to be fun it requires work from you to throw out the right hooks mm-hmm. now the problem was when i was getting worn down was that those hooks were that the ropes attached to those hooks were becoming frayed mm-hmm. like i was being pushed away and there was a strain there and sharon's specific anxiety that penalty that you mentioned that we were lied to about i knew that it was a lie sharon didn't didn't. and i didn't tell her because it needed to be something that was experienced by one of us Mm -hmm. that hoodwinking gameplay element yes to to see how that would play on our anxiety i felt bad for not telling you but i wanted i was watching you come to the kind of conclusion you're like i think they're lying to me yeah we've died six times now here's, (laughs) here's the thing here's the thing and this this again this was one of the reasons why and you're absolutely right this is not a fun game this is not an enjoyable game even as i was playing it i was thinking this is going to be a game that i enjoy looking back on and analyzing and Mm. talking about way more than I enjoy actually going through the experience you of playing You love it. having had played it, you yes. don't love playing it. I don't playing love playing it, it precisely. Yeah. It's not a game I ever intend to play again. Uh, I was going to say, I, so while playing this game, I, I actually I had moments of what in game design we call fiero, which is a like a catharsis of tension. Mm. And it was usually after like banging my head up against some combat over and over again. And then as uh, like Senua's 
focus goes up and I just kind of push forward, I found myself actually like yelling as I was playing this game, like pushing through these enemies and, and nailing the, the uh, reposts and things mm-hmm. to uh, in a way that I felt very like cathartic, but afterwards was exhausted. Yes. The, like, yeah. So again, even those moments of Fiero of catharsis, they're not strictly fun. No. They're, relieving but they're exhausting <laughs> they're, they're relieving in the sense that it stopped there's there's you don't get that usual thing that you get from a game which is you you complete a task and you get that little burst of well done um, yeah reward it's chemical. more like banging your head it against a wall at the moment but yeah exactly it feels it, <laughs> it feels good when i stop but which you know, may in fact be a not... symptom of psychosis well maybe <laughs> so um but but yeah just to go back briefly to this this sort of spreading darkness that i didn't know was a fake out thing this made the first part of the game really hard for me because i am a perfectionist this is a, a manifestation of those obsessive thoughts that i described earlier on that i have to get things on the nail right otherwise terrible things will happen and to be to to have that shadow over me of if i balls up too much at this thing you've given me to do you bastards that you know i'm no good at and obviously they don't know i'm ninja theory have no idea that i'm not because they're aiming at bros (laughs) indeed but but that's that's kind of my point i was doing this thing that i couldn't get around i had to do the thing that i'm no good at and if i fail often enough i'm gonna have to start this shit all over again Mm. and it created in me a sense that i've had in life of if i fuck this up too much i'm gonna have to just throw it all away and that was not nice and and although it took me a little while to work out that that it was a fake out and it was because i think i it actually happened because i died three times in very quick succession and therefore i noticed that the pattern of blackness up her arm didn't move or at least it it Mm. went from the same low point every time so i thought oh Oh, okay. Oh, they're spinning one on me, aren't they? And again, it threw me out a little bit, but I was actually quite relieved after that point because I thought, right, okay, now I know I'm not actually going to have to restart this whole thing. And then the logic kicked in and went, how on earth is a game supposed to reach into the memory of your PlayStation and delete a file? No, it's it's got precedence. And I told you this when you, you said that out loud. I said uh, Steel Battalion, the original one with the massive big peripheral that came with it. If you didn't press the, like, flip the cover thing and press the swanky eject button to get out when your frame started to explode, you'd die with it and it would wipe your save. It's totally doable. Oh, okay. Yeah. How is it supposed to wipe your save? It can. Okay. Well, I'm glad it did. <laughs> uh, there was also the. My worry was actually more um, about what happened to Jim Sterling because he'd found uh, a weird bug that they hadn't expected, where he hadn't lit a torch during that section when you were running around in the dark, being pursued by darkness, and uh, he ended up stranded. It had saved behind him, and he was stuck in the dark, being killed endlessly, and hearing her scream at two in the morning. And he was like, "I can't, I can't, I can't stop playing this. I've got to review it. I can't review it properly." because I can't finish it. And so he was really trapped. And so he ended up giving it a 1 out of 10 and then thought better of it and um, and had to uh, you know, reevaluate uh, the, the game after that. But I was like really scared during that section. I was like, please don't find the bug because I know that that's what I do. 
Yeah, thankfully they had patched it out by the time you guys played Thank it. Goodness. When I played it, um, and I guess we should probably get back to the actual like plot, but uh, at one point... Oh, no, 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 there's one other through... thing that, that... Hang on, hang on. There's... Oh, no, 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 no. I wanted to say, I ran into a bug while I was playing this game at first. Oh, okay. Um, whenever you're going against the fire... In the fire area, you at one point have to run through like a maze to find the ruin, the runes mm. while this like nebulous fire monster is like Searching. chasing you. Yep. Oh, I hated that bit. Oh, was that... No, that, oh. was, that was later when you're running around and like ducking under the beams. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was horrible. Uh, I, I ran into a couple of like weird clipping issues and some like serious issues, serious problems and that stuck on some scenery. Yeah, that area took well I the the when I got the closest to beating it at first, uh one of the runes just wouldn't work. Like it it didn't like I found it, I looked at it, I focused on it, it did the thing, but it didn't disappear from the door. Yeah. <sighs> And so I was, I was like, I, I need to come back to this. And when I came back like a week later, they had patched it and it worked. And so, but so, man, do I know that frustration? That is the part of the game that I got the closest to being like, I'm, I'm done. Like, there's something wrong here, and I cannot do this. And I, th- I think that's the run up to search. And to search an actual fight. That's when the mechanics of the game aren't working. When they are working, and I'm just bad at it. Like if I'm dying in combat, or I can't find the thing like I can't find the the way through the puzzle there's there's like you you fucked up do it again you fucked up do it again you fucked up do it again that that's that's kind of how games that where you die and keep coming back uh, affect me like it's just it's it, it's flicking me on the nuts it's smacking me in the face and saying keep going do it again do it again and because you're playing as Senua but you're 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 kind of slightly detached from her I, I was empathizing and going, oh, okay, so you, like, you've got to find these patterns in, in, in the world so that you can make sense of it and move on. I get that. And then now do it again. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get that. Now do it again. I, I, I get it. I get it. And I get the combat. I get that too. It's just really boring and laborious now. And the problem was then it was testing my empathy and was actually pushing me away. And I felt like somebody who had hoped that he could be a caregiver for somebody suffering from severe mental illness and tried and failed and couldn't get out of it. That's what this game made me feel like the most. It wasn't that I didn't feel the empathy. I felt it, but then that the getting stuck on that, like, do it again, do it again, and knowing that it was just repetition of the mechanics effectively to spin out the game so that it wasn't too short. There was a, there was a certain push-pull of that. Like, if they'd only put in one of the, like, find the shapes thing, it would be like, oh, isn't this fun? It's almost, it's, it's almost fun being, uh, you know, suffering from this kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> certain publications considered that to be a superpower that she had and that they were really critical of the idea that it suggested that somehow being afflicted with psychosis made her better able to deal with uh, this environment. Refusing to look at the fact that this environment is her it's about living with this. I completely got that from Jump Street. The difficulty was I was stuck on Jump Street and I couldn't get out. Yeah. It, it's making the the act of finding patterns and f- essentially battling your demons mundane. Yeah. And and that's part of what makes this game not fun. Now, from like a design from like a design perspective, the the different bosses all have so, like, a good boss designed well is testing your 
ability to do some mechanic earlier that you've done like earlier in the stage it's like the final test and each of these bosses are like really good for that although maybe not hella at the end but uh cert and velaravan and uh gramir uh was it uh garmir Gram- garmir yeah, yeah the wolf um <laughs> um, those, I think those are the three bosses mm. it, it, that you fight before Hela. They're all... It's Fenrir, isn't it? It's Fenrir, yeah. yeah. Garmir no, is the no. Mirror. It's Garmir, Garmir, which is which is Hela's wolf. Which might be... I mean, that might be splitting hairs. It might be just called different things in different languages. But I, I, it's specifically ref- referenced in the game as Garmir. Okay. Which confused me because the sword is Gramir. It's Garmir. Ah, yeah, so like it's like literally two letters just switched around. Yeah. But Side note, by the way, everyone who got to play this before November and Thor Ragnarok, lucky them, because I could not focus on not <laughs> smiling. Whenever they said the goddess Hela, I could only picture Kate Blanchett going, oh, another one. You think you are so special that I sit here waiting for chosen ones to arrive to redeem their lost loves. I have so much to do. I have a Ragnarok to organize. <laughs> Take your skull and get out of here. Like, I couldn't not think of that because my brain makes things fun to deal with mundanity. That's my psychosis. <laughs> I, I went back and played a bit of it after Thor Ragnarok, mm. and the whole time I was just kind of waiting for that song to kick in during, like, really intense battle moments. Continue, sorry. But, like, Velravin's all about deflecting the weapons back. Search is all about pushing an advantage after dodging out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gra- uh, Garmir is about uh, dodging, but also the audio. It was specifically about the audio to know which direction it was going to come from so you knew where to dodge. Yeah. And uh, each of those is just so well done from a ludic perspective like the people who made this knew what they were doing i mean look at those other games that we spent the first 20 minutes talking about dmc heavenly blade uh, heavenly sword they know how to make a third person fighter they did this specifically for that purpose of driving home that mundanity yeah and i i think it's best exemplified in the very end you fight I, I think you have to fight like six Velravins and four Certs and Garmir again to just drive home the point of like these were bosses. Now they're just things that you have to fight in this final run up. And oh, BT dubs, they're all just in Senua's mind. Like it's really just driving that point home. And I think at that point it needed to be blunt, which I, again we'll probably get to. But oh man, I also particularly loved Velravin. It was like my favorite part of the game. Me but. Too. <laughs> I loved this design, and the the, the the cattle skull thing is is a genuinely creepy, um, like ancient piece of uh, arcana that, that that gets straight. Like there's something in our DNA that tells us to fear that image. Yeah, of the, the, the wispy scarecrow, like sort of standing out on the heath with that face. Mm, yeah, and the, the the sudden realization that if you look this way, it's this, and if you look that way, it's that, and you can't always see where the change is, and yeah. that's the kind of the point and oh that whole set yeah. that whole section I loved so much that that looking for the the patterns in the the chaos because that's that's how I deal yeah basically yeah. Sharon dealt with the uh, the the puzzles far better than than I did I dealt with the combat better than Sharon did mm. and the the yeah. the combat specifically in the fire section which was the bit that you did before you eventually decided that you were going to let me 
carry Too on much, and, yeah. and do the gameplay. Full myself. disclosure: Sharon did a hell of a lot of this, and I watched because I had to dis- I had to detach myself, mm. and I completely understand why. I do, and I'll, I I'll really talk do. about this later. But but I've kind of already played my hand on it. But um, I had to take more of a back seat on this, and I actually do believe that it, it would have been better for me um, in a different medium mm. um, in the same way that I, I said of um, To the Moon the whole like find the hidden object thing in To the Moon thing was like oh that's good and then you did it 12 more times and it's like yeah I, I get that and the whole point is to get into the mindset of being yeah I, I, I get it the problem is that if like repetition to prove a point mm. it like it that impedes this the actual flow of whatever I'm watching or participating yeah. in. Yeah, and the other thing as well that you, you've got to remember with this is that they're not trying to tell people with mental illnesses what mental illnesses feel like. Yeah, no. They're, they're trying to communicate them to people who don't have Which makes it that much more valuable. It does. It makes mm-hmm. them incredibly valuable, but it also makes them incredibly hard to play yeah. when you do have those experiences mm. because it feel it can feel a little bit too real sometimes. <laughs> and the the section with um, with the fire god, Cert, I, I tried to do a little bit of it mm. and I, I couldn't. I had to give it back to you to finish that whole segment. And the reason was... Because of, of part of the um, the aesthetic that they were using there, the flare ups where you'd, you'd suddenly walk into a, a, an area and <sighs> all burst into trapped. flames, Sensory and envelope. all you could do was just push through and run through it, um, and and you had these uh, these beasties coming at you, and you had to fight them. Now my my um, survival instinct is actually not fight or flight; it's freeze. When I'm in a situation where I, I feel under threat, my instinct is stop, drop, look around. You need to make a decision about this. I, I can't do... If, I, if I'm being pushed into making a choice between fight or flight, I get torn between the two and I panic. In action, which yeah. is not fantastic in a burning room. Absolutely. And, I, and that's why I had to give it to you. I could not have got through that section. Effectively, I had to own. grab you by the hand and run you and through run the burning through room. It. Yeah, exactly. Which... I, I will say it is something that you have metaphorically done for me numerous times in our relationship. Mm. So it was very apt. Another <laughs> thing that, uh, uh, well, actually, one of the most like awful but kind of like hilarious things about this game was those moments where was it Fury? Um, what's the, the the point that you made, uh, Lauren, when you finished something and, and gone? Oh, oh it's. It's called Fiero. Fiero, okay. Well, whenever you got that Fiero, it was usually a company with... Ding, you got a trophy for that. Oh, yeah! How do you cheapen oh this game? God. Well, for a start, have great big fat trophies awarded. How about just you get one big trophy when At you the finish end. the game? Or maybe, <laughs> like, a clever mechanic that means you get the trophies, but they don't tell you about it. Yeah. Like, that. that is a... That, that made everything seem cheap. That gamified the whole proceeding. So every time huh. they tried to make a serious emotional point, it finished with, you are redeemed. I'm pretty sure Ooh, there's somebody screaming at us right now that you can turn off notifications for trophies. I'm sure you can, but the point is at the beginning of the game, they should have said, do you want to turn off the notification for trophies? Because it's going to be a bit crap. We strongly recommend you turn off notification of trophies. So that's really interesting. But I left I it in there because I needed some fun. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's an interesting um, um, 
comparison because I played this on Steam and mm. the trophies on Steam are like way less. Like there, there's not really a sound. Mm. It's just like a little notification pops up and you just ignore it. Um, and there are they could have done two trophies because there are collectibles in this game technically. Mm. Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, and so this is the th- so. We're, we've already talked for a long time about like this game very holistically, and I don't think working through it set by set is really going to help, but we should probably just mention what the plot is real fast. Can we, can we mention the fact that there's voices? Because it's a huge part of the game. Yeah. So if you want to do the plot, and then we'll talk about the voices, because yeah. we've held off on them, and the f- it, it's basically like saying... Oh yeah, you can jump in a Mario game. <laughs> yeah, Mario. I, I kind of I wanted to include that in the aesthetics more than the mechanics, although there are elements of it in the mechanics. But yeah, I, I think we've we're past the point now where mm. anybody who is sensitive to spoilers has jumped ship. Yeah, yeah. So right. let's we're past the point of no return, as yes. the Phantom of the Opera would say. Indeed, that blending of aesthetics and mechanics, I believe, is like one of the biggest strengths of this game. But anyway, to go through the plot very quickly, Senua picked warrior. Family died, Dillian died, takes head to go to Helheim, like we said before. Upon reaching the gates of Helheim, finds that she cannot open them until she has defeated the fire giant Sirt and the uh, master of illusion Velraven. Uh, once defeating both of those, Sirt, of course, being a lot of uh, puzzles involving fire, as previously mentioned, uh, and Velraven being a lot of really amazing visual illusion uh, puzzles where like you'll walk past a tree and then you'll see Velraven, you'll walk past another tree and it'll just be like a scarecrow. Uh, and it's amazing. I love it. But so you get through into that gate, cross the bridge to Helheim where you are attacked by Hela and uh, get defeated. Your sword is shattered. Uh, you survive the encounter, but only just, and you follow visions of Druth and a, sh- a man-shaped light that runs towards a tree that she believes is Dillian showing her the path. Upon getting to the tree, you go through the series of challenges to obtain uh, Gramir, the sword powerful enough to slay the gods. Not to be confused with Gamer. Gamir, yeah, not to be not to be confused with Gamir, the next boss you fight. You eventually go back to uh, the mountain that is Helheim and descend into it, uh, actually to get Dillian's head because it falls down. That's where you face Garmir, which is also the representation of the darkness, which is a specific voice that she hears throughout the whole game that I want to mention right now is voiced by the same voice actor who does her father. That'll come back. Um, Oh yes, that's significant. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But after defeating Garmir and thinking that you're, you've left the darkness behind, although it comes back, spoiler, uh, you do eventually make your way to Hela's seat itself. And you go through fight after fight after fight. And it gets really, really Exhausting. The the final run up to Hela is uh, a series of combat arenas where she keeps pushing you back, and you just have to keep pushing through until eventually you fight around her, and it spawns endless enemies until you are defeated. There's no way to actually not die in that final what Legion if you encounter. Get, got good. You can't. It, well, it will... If you were good enough, could you keep this up forever? However, well, you'd have to not. You'd have to not ever fail to get good. Yeah. You'd have to well, already be good to get good. Yeah. Oh, no, mind I, blown. I, How can we be good when one is already good? Well, I will tell you from the perspective of one who has gotten good uh, at other games that this <laughs> that this calls back to. I was in that final combat for thirty minutes. 
Okay. You want to talk about exhausting. I was like, when are they going to stop spawning? Until it eventually spawned so many of those big axe-wielding guys Mm. that they all charged me at once. There was nothing I could do about it. Like, it, it eventually plays dirty. Yeah, it gives you a kill screen, effectively, then. Yeah. Right. We never and got then, anywhere near that far. It was just like, I think I figured out that we're supposed to die. Yeah, I, I think I kept yeah. it up for about six minutes, maybe yeah. seven, and then just eventually went, I can't do this! I, I'm pretty sure I killed like over 100 enemies in that final combat alone. It was <laughs> ridiculous. But anyway, the final cutscene, uh, it shows Senua collapsed behind Hela, who picks up uh, Dillian's head, carries it over, Senua apparently dies, and and Hela drops the head into this, like, abyss. But then when the camera pans back up, it shows that it's actually Senua, and Hela is collapsed on the ground behind her. And uh, the 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 idea is that she's... And, and, and as the camera pans out, it turns out that she's not underground. She's not inside. She's actually in just this shell of a boat. And it shows that she's kind of, like, freed herself of the darkness's influence and freed herself from this um, guilt that she had for Dillian's death and uh, is able to finally accept the voices. Uh, She calls them the Furies, uh, not as a curse, but like as just this part of who she is and this, this, I I don't even know if there's a better way to phrase it. And then she kind of walks off and one of the voices that is of her psyche. Or uh, multiple yeah. aspects of her psyche. Yeah, and and as she walks away, one of the voices that you've heard a lot, the narrator, uh, specifically addresses the player. It's the voice that has addressed the player the whole time. Uh, says goodbye and like bids you to like follow her on future adventures, which we'll see if they actually do a sequel. I think that would be a terrible idea. That would be a um, terrible. I mean, that's almost like a little nod for the for the for the bros. Like, yeah, you know, this is this was not all for nothing. The sequels. Yeah, there are no sequels. Ron Howard voice. There were no sequels. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. There's one more thing, though. Uh, So all throughout the game, you're collecting these runes that give you... Oh, we weren't going to discuss this bit, but carry on. (laughs) Oh, well, I was just going to say... It's so crap. Continue. If you get all of them, Mm. you get... The only thing you get for it, which I think, uh, to me, the fact that it's such a letdown that there's, like, nothing... You don't really get anything useful from collecting all of these things. You go to the top of the castle and Yoshi's there, but you can't ride him. It's amazing. Sorry, continue. That's kind of what it feels like, where the whole time, like, oh, no, I need to collect all of these. Something great is going to happen. And then the end, it's just Druth saying, before you met me, I was a coward. I, like, under threat of torture, sold out how they could get here to, to, you know, to raid these villages. But it turns out there was another person who did it, too. And it's heavily implied that it's in Bell, Senua's father, Mm. sold out. Because no one else wore black in those days. Yeah, well, it's specifically because <laughs> the Druth that she's talking to is, like, just really another voice, mm. and that it, like, knows... And the, is well the, aware of who Senua's father is, and it's, it's this clearly right. significant point saying your father was the one that what sold out everyone, which, right. for me, felt like a step backwards narrative-wise. It is like, uh, as Sharon said... Well, the, the, yeah. the way I saw it... it Part of the part of the the way her father is woven into this story because that little plot rundown that you've you've just done brilliantly, Lauren. Thank you for that. Um, you, what you didn't talk about was how in flashbacks you you get this 
um, history of how uh, Senua's psychosis was treated by her father. And when I say treated, I don't mean like he gave her medicinals for it. I mean, <laughs> locked her in her room and told her that she carried a darkness within her that would eventually overspill and poison the world. Oh. Um, and it's even worse than that, though. Yeah, well, he, he's basically, <laughs> he's ended up... Um, sort of taking the form of... I mean, I think he, he literally refers to himself as her shadow at one mm. point. Um, and he's he is just... In, in a lot of ways, he is another one of the voices. He is literally her, her internalised critical parent. He's the one who is constantly coming forward and saying, you can't do this. It's all going to go to shit. Um, everything you are is worthless. Dillian didn't really love you. Um, it's all... His... his abusive patter and and constant running theme is core to how she has interpreted the world but it's become such an inherent part of her that and this was the thing that I loved like so much it made me ache about the end I thought this was absolutely superb that she she basically has to accept that Dillian is gone and she can't get him back and there's nothing she can do to assuage any of the grief that she feels which is what this this whole thing has all been about and she has to accept the idea that if her darkness inverted commas is not real in the sense that it's not really an evil thing that sits within her and will poison everybody um if it's just the product of the lies that she was told by her father to to control her and to cover up the horrendous thing, things, but things specifically, that he's done, um, then Dillian really can't be saved. Mm -hmm. And I had a mental double take at this point because at first she refuses to accept it. And I went, no, that's the whole point. You have to grab... Oh, she is. Okay. <laughs> because then she kind of... She, she starts off by sort of having this furious response of, no, it's real, it is, and I can save him. And then, and then she kind of turns a corner and accepts it. And when she just gets up and walks away at the end... For me, it was like this wonderful outbreath of it doesn't need something magical to happen. She doesn't need to defeat you. You don't fight Hela and and have a a, a fantastic scene of wow, I am the toughest human in the world because I defeated the goddess mm -hmm. of death. No, all she has to do is accept what is and who she is, and and be okay with that and walk off into her, the rest of her life, whatever that will be. And I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. So and finding out that, like, it was her father all along. And he also sold out the tribe. So he well, was that, a total yeah, bad thing. It's like, no, she, he's been that, her... Yeah, he is her person. But not even him. That version of him yeah. in her head mm. is her personal demon. Yeah. We don't need to find out that the real guy also sold out the, the tribes. Yeah, absolutely. He, we know he's a scumbag. He's, he's, the, the, That's not a revelation. The, the main seat of trauma that has caused all of this to, to take place in her mind is that when she was about five years old, she saw her father burn her mother as a witch. Yeah. 
Yep. Which, by the way, is also the central conceit of Sleepy Hollow, the Tim Burton film. <laughs> yes. Good. Now, I'm not going to say, oh, they stole it. What an original idea. I like I like the fact that there are parallels there. And that's a, that's a, a, a you know relatively thin and quite lame movie, although I really like how atmospheric it is and it's a great Halloween treat. But um, I, I like the fact that that is something that got explored again here. Okay. I need... Okay. So I need to respond to this, but I need to tell a little story about me and how this affected me, okay, if you yeah. if, if you don't mind. Just do not mind. A quick tangent. So the main reason I actually think it's helpful to have that sequence in there is up until that point, Senua believes with all of her heart that her curse is what causes all of the the problems around there and it's represented by the darkness and it's that moment that lets her understand that the cause of all this pain is outside of her and not her and uh, so we talked earlier about how we we came to this with our own baggage and how that reflects our experience so uh, growing up my grandfather was one of the most selfish horrible people that I've ever heard stories of. I never actually met the guy. But my mother was so taken aback by uh, her father-in-law that all throughout my formative years, I was told, you know, this runs in... This runs in the blood. It skips a generation. You're doomed to be this selfish monster that you're going to do nothing but hurt other people for your own personal gain. And that is all I've... I grew up with. I've been to the point where I internalized that anything that went wrong was somehow my fault, somehow related back to that. And the fact that Senua uh, got to the point where she realized that it wasn't this internalized thing, that in her case, her father had been telling her all along that this curse is a darkness within you and it causes it caused the plague that destroyed Dillian's village. It caused your mother to be burned. It's not my fault that this happened, but she realizes she comes to terms with the fact that it is outside of her and it is not her fault. And that is a message that I still struggle with for my own kind of that darkness. So that's why I think that it's still not as left field as you may think. No, I, what, I, as in finding out that her father was definitely definitively a wrong one from somebody it, else. We knew that, yeah. but she had that's, to realize that's that. That's a good point, actually. Well, well what I was... And, and thank you so much for sharing that, Lauren. And yeah. Sweetheart, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's a um, terrible thing to tell a child. Uh, think- well... <laughs> that that's that is one of many things. So yeah, but anyway, yeah. sorry, go on. But I, I think I think you're right. We knew that, and for me, that revelation comes with the with the burning scene. Yes. Um, but I I do completely understand what you mean about that bringing it home to her. Yeah, but I, I think the delivery of it as so. Um, I want to mention real quick that the three bosses in this game are directly related to the three major traumas that she experiences mm-hmm. and feels that she's responsible for. Uh, there, uh, She witnesses her mother get burned alive at age five, and her father says, this is your fault. So this is cert. the curse. Okay. No, yeah, that's cert. And it's, your mother had this curse. You have this curse. This is within you. This is your fault. Mm. Then... 
uh, after she starts to recover a little bit and uh, and, and goes off with Dillian, his fe- his village is hit by a plague, and that's represented by Velravin oh, with man. all of the the death imagery. Velravin is also the Lord of Ravens, which might be another reason why I like him so much. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that is like this other thing, and she believes that she caused it by her presence, which is why she exiles herself into the woods where she meets Truth. Now the so those are the first two things you fight, and they're the most recent traumas that she's gone through. And remember, at the very beginning, we mentioned that psychosis can be caused and exacerbated by trauma. Mm-hmm. But the key to it, the 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 start of this all, what really caused her psychosis, is the treatment of her father. She she describes it as being put in a hole and hidden away from everyone else in darkness, specifically is the way that he treated her. And that's why when you fight the darkness as it is Garmir, as it is voiced by the same person who voices Zinbel, you are in the bottom of the deepest, darkest pit in the entire game with only a, a small shaft of light to hold to. And defeating each of those bosses is her trying to overcome the traumas that cause this psychosis, but not giving, not getting rid of that sense that it's because of her. And it, all of the flashbacks, I, it actually just occurred to me why that all happens at the end. You learn that her mother was burned when she was five right at the very end, right before you go for the final run-up. And that's her realizing, like you said, it's not her fault. Her father did that. And then uh, every step of the way has been her like coming to terms with the fact that all of this trauma in her life is not her fault. It's been done to her, and she needs to react. And the last trauma, Dillian's death, seemed like, a, like how could that possibly be somebody else's fault? Like, she should have been there to help fight them. That was the guilt, because she was a warrior. Uh, and that was the guilt that she was carrying. And Druth saying, look... This was also specifically caused by somebody else. There was nothing you could do. Uh, it is is helpful going along that same How, sequence. However, that can also be manifested if you because you may get through the game without having collected all the sigils and you don't get that little bit of extra information, which we right. didn't. Um, the fact that she fights and fights and fights the, the the many enemies at the end who are clearly representative of the Northmen, that they're, they're the Vikings that she couldn't fight when she uh, wanted to the first time, she can't win. She dies effectively trying to fight them. And that accomplishes that same... Peace, that, that same lie she tells herself, I could have been there, I could have done something about it, she's able to confound that lie yeah. by confronting that her own death would have been inevitable. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's that little bit is hidden behind the collectibles, because the act of trying to get those collectibles is itself another metaphor for the psychosis and the experience they're in. Not and being that, able like, to leave anything without getting the perfect yeah. score. Yeah, trying to get everything, trying to collect everything, finding meaning, like, oh, there's going to be something at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's just like a minute and a half of the guy who plays Druth quite well, I think, uh, <laughs> just, like, say these little things, and you're like, that's it? And, it, and, and I think that 
that subversion is part of the reason for it because it is immediately followed by a much more powerful version of that that does way better and like you said most people aren't even going to be crazy enough to collect all oh sorry not that's not an appropriate way to put it but I collected them all, so. But most people aren't going to be as thorough to collect all of the the runes, and therefore are still going to get the more powerful ending. But I feel like that's just another ludo narrative harmony hmm. in the game. It also is, is. I think the reason I reacted the first time was kind of like there's a secret uh, extra ending at the end of the super special edition of Return of the Jedi, where uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, Lando takes uh, Luke aside and says. Luke, I found out something about uh, uh, what happened to your uncle and aunt. Uh, the uh, the kill order that happened on their uh, the the Lars family homestead. It was signed by Senator Palpatine. <laughs> and Luke goes, ah, uh, well, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, he's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck him. And I knew he was evil as hell. And you know, I wasn't. Like, you know, ultimately, Luke is always going to kind of blame himself for for that, no matter who fucking signed the kill order. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it, it just, it kind of felt like an, it's, it's an odd thing to get weeks after you finish the game, yeah. <laughs> just watching that bit on YouTube. I would imagine that maybe if you played through the game, but also I can imagine if you played through diligently, um, like, catching every scrap of uh, um, the, the the sigils to then go that's it okay well that that guy's a scumbag then okay moving on okay can I can I talk about yeah. the voices yes oh, please right because um, this plays into my take home on this um, the voices that strike you immediately this it's not like this hasn't happened in some other games but as, as other people have said, this is the first game that makes them a huge deal the whole way through. Um, like, I think like Max Payne, for example, attempted a really shitty, terrible version of, the, of this in their, in their awful flashback sequences, if you remember ever playing that game. Like, as it was like constantly playing the, the various voices that occurred during the My Dead Family situation, and obviously with Max talking to himself all the time. Um, effectively... These voices, if you haven't played it, folks, and you've gotten this far and we've basically finished the game for you, imagine everything we've just described, but the whole way through you've got people, you know, uh, wandering around your head with, um, what's the word for how they do the sound? Binaural. B- Binaural. Binaural. It's a kind of sound design that uh, is uh, perfect for ASMR, which mm. is... Weaponized ASMR is how I described it. Yeah. ASMR, for in, in the very short, is um, uh, stimulating a part of the brain with uh, um, very specific kinds of talking, usually in uh, YouTube videos now, um, to uh, induce a certain state, which uh, is... Do you want the scientific explanation? Yep. Okay. Basically, it um, it triggers the uh, parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Lauren, mm-hmm. am I right? Y- yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think it's. The, uh, I believe yeah, it's parasympathetic the nervous system, which is basically um, your your nervous system has two states. You've got the sympathetic, which is your fight or flight, and parasympathetic is um, what they call um, feed and breed or rest and digest. It's basically your body goes into a switch that says. Ah, everything is okay, and now you can relax. So kind of like getting a massage. So basically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And it can be triggered by, it's not just the sounds as well, it can be context for some people as well. It's it's anything that makes you feel soothed.
Mm. Not everybody experiences it in the sense that not everybody actually feels it happening. The tingles that you get in the back of your neck um, are, are, you're basically feeling your parasympathetic nervous system switching on. Um, And one thing I mentioned when they they said about using uh, binaural speakers to to create this uh, sound effect and, and sound, what's the word? Scape. Scape. It's superb. The atmosphere is wonderful. But my concern was that there are a lot of people who actually use ASMR to treat anxiety and to, to calm them down when they're in an anxious state. And this would be what the trigger warning is. And if they, if they kind of learn to associate those quiet, whispering voices with terror and... What I'm trying to get around to is uh, for folks who... Um, haven't played it imagine going for a massage and then uh, your masseuse who is going to give you uh, two hours of very relaxing very professional care gets tapped on the shoulder and replaced with strangers who are also strangely familiar some of whom bear you severe malice and some of whom may in fact be allies but you don't know and then they go to work on you for two hours and those two hours basically become your entire life that's what the soundscape of voices comes across as within this game. They are voices that are ever-present, con- like there is constant berating and constant uh, erosion of, uh, the, uh, of self-confidence and the self. Uh, um, they, dr- they, they drive her to madness. And at the same time, there are moments where there, there's sympathy there. There's, there's moments where they start to talk about, well, it's, it's possible she might actually do this. And they they talk about her as in in a gossipy way. And they're referred to by her as the Furies and they kind of evoke um, the Gryi or the Witches Three from Macbeth. The the mythology of of like, you know, chattering crones and and, and people who seem to know more about you than you're really comfortable knowing. But you can't escape them. You're always surrounded by these voices. And that really is where the empathy lies on a, on a basic, fundamental level throughout the game because the bros playing this get-good combat game are forced to put up with these voices and to hear them eroding at um, Senua. And it's an audio assault and it's an endurance test and it's liable to bring on trauma and depression if you're a certain type of person and I am a, that I'm one of those certain types of people. It was... We actually played this in the run-up to Christmas, and I was really stressed mm. for Christmas. Yeah. But I wanted to get it out of the way so that we could enter the new year without this hanging over us. Um, but also because we never stopped working. But And if it wasn't this, it would have been something else. Mm. But but this is why I don't binge play this, because if you, ha- if you tried to keep this up for too long, yeah. it would hurt. And it's fascinatingly deft use of it, and they've been very careful with it, so it never feels overdone. It doesn't feel repetitive. Uh, like they, they, they keep it going. Um, but ultimately, the, the reason that this game drove me away, and it drove me to only a certain distance. Had I not had Sharon there to help me, I, I may have been driven further, but it drove me to a certain distance, not because I was lacking in empathy, but because I have too much I felt too Can't help sorrowful for Senua. I felt not a need to save her or, or, or change her. I 
it was deeply frustrating not being able to do anything other than push her forwards into combat. The mechanics of the game worked against my sensibilities. And not so much that was a problem for me. I'm really glad that this game exists and I want to see other games do it do it and do it even better. But because of the journey, it was a journey I had to take in the back seat rather than the front eventually. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because as a as an experience, specifically the repetition, it's not that I hear the voices, but the sense of of butting my head against an unwinnable situation and expecting things to change makes me want to change things around. And if I am unable to change things around, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. So that, that was my ultimate experience of the game. It was a triumph to watch play out. Had it been a film, I th- without the sense of repetition being on my hands, I think I would have engaged with it even more. That. Okay. Yeah. I have one other thing to add to the, the soundscape, specifically the voices. Uh, element and this I think was pretty subtle to the point where I was wondering whether it was intentional um, so I don't know whether anybody else picked up on this as well but there are there are a few moments where the voices die out mm-hmm. and it, it gets brighter as well it, it gets a little bit it gets a little bit brighter if you stand in certain locations and there were times that it felt lonely there were it was as no, in no. to As not in have the voices. When the voices felt had gone, yeah. it felt lonely. Yeah. Um, there were other more positive um, points, one or two, where the voices went away. Um, there was a moment where I found a spot to stand on a, a, a riverbank or a, a stream bank, and it was very loud. The water rushing um, was very loud, and it drowned them out. And that was the point where the sun came out very briefly, and that. That really got me, because that's how I deal, sometimes. And I I wasn't sure why, but the sound of water... ...really, really calms me when things get too much sometimes. And to know that somebody else felt that too enough to put it in a game as a moment of relief from something that was incredibly relentless. It was tiny, but it meant so much. Um, also, I've, I've got to tip my hat to Melina Jurgens, um, who played uh, Senua. Um, she started out as the video editor for um, uh, Ninja Theory, 
and she was just a stand-in for cinema for the longest time and then they were like we can't get an actress better than this and she was reaching deep down to her own pain and her own experiences and that manifests itself on screen and it was that effective and that uncomfortable because of the truth behind it maybe not with the specificity of exactly what's going on but that didn't matter the the intensity that was being delivered was overwhelming and she is you know this is one of the finest performances in the in the medium beyond a doubt agreed watching that documentary uh really drives that home too mm. you can watch her scream while she's wearing the whole set get up and it should be ludicrous because she's got a little widget on her face and dots all, all over it and you know she's wearing a, a, a monkey gimp suit um, like Gollum and she's screaming her heart out and it's just as powerful as in the game because it's real and this is why I have always champion performance capture this is not the same as just piping in your voice later to keyframe animated uh, um, gaming models I love what Naughty Dog does I love what Ninja Theory does and I loved what Image Movers Digital did and until Disney ate them and destroyed them like uh, Unicron I I think that's one of the reasons why in this game it really focuses on her face a lot in uh, most of the cutscenes and to it, really drive that home, it's a two it's a two stage um, uh, process of, of that. Uh, insofar as it keeps things small, so that they could make this on a relatively slim budget without adding you know dozens of extras and loads of, of, of different people. And, uh, the other guys are added in with FMV, which had this weird kind of dissonance of effect of hang on, am I playing a PlayStation game <laughs> like the original PlayStation when they thought that FMV was going to be the thing? That was that was a bit weird. I have to admit, I found that difficult because it, 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 you don't notice it mm. so much when it's just her going through the environment. But when she stood next to the vision of Druth or Galena, yeah. and their it's eyes are real and hers aren't. Yeah, it's <laughs> what could be known from now on as the Tarkin effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Absolutely. no one clinging <laughs> on to the uncanny valley by your fingernail. But. It also, because it was so close to her all the time, made the whole game feel both incredibly personal and incredibly claustrophobic. You were trapped with her. Which you you had to empathise or die at that stage. Mm, absolutely. And that, that element is really important to how the... Um, I'm going to say the puzzle mechanic, but there's other elements of it as well in terms of how it immerses you in the environment. Um, thematically, uh, it does actually bear this in common with Sucker Punch as well. That, <laughs> that idea that um, that you have all you need, that everything you need to overcome this is around you. Everything she... Can we please tie that to Princess Le- General Leia Organa and not to Zack Snyder? <laughs> you have everything you need, girls. I'm not going to fight for you. Uh, Thank you, okay. Zack Snyder. Done. That too. Last, <laughs> last Jedi as well. Um, but um, but the, the idea that the solutions to everything that she has to overcome is in her environment. She just has to look at it right. Um, that is sucker punch, that, damn it. That's <laughs> something that... But, but in, in the sense that that manifests itself in the real as well again 
um, from personal experience, when I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack, um, there are things that you can do, which I do, that, that kind of focus your physical senses and draw you out of whatever is going on in your head and dissipates that discrepancy between what's happening in my head and what's happening in my environment, which is what is the, the, a major cause of a lot of mental distress. So it's things like you know drink water and concentrate on the feel of the water in your mouth and you know put your hands on the table and concentrate on the feel of the wood underneath your hands I actually had a dream the other night where I was half sure I was dreaming but I wasn't 100% certain and I thought I know all I have to do is find a table and I will put my hand on that table and if it feels real I will know this is real but I think my hand's going to go straight through it because I'm pretty sure I'm dreaming and I found the table and I put my hand on it and I could actually feel the wood under my hand and it freaked me out so much I woke up because <laughs> I was like that's not right I shouldn't be able to feel that I'm dreaming so I don't know whether I'd kind of reached out from under the duvet and put my hand on the bookcase or something. It was it was disturbing. Um, so that your mind makes it real. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that that sense of finding everything that you need within the environment, I thought, really, really rang true. Um, and right, okay. Two things about Dillian. Because she has constant... One of the voices that she hears is Dillian's. And I think it's it's memories, isn't it? It's um, yeah. flashbacks to things yeah. that he's actually said to her. Because, again, yeah. Dillian is really important in the sense that he's the first person who's really validated her experiences and how she feels and not tried to put his own slant on them. Yeah. Except at one point... The thing I really, really like about how Dillian plays into um, her going through all of this is that there are moments when he comes in to really help. And I love the way they brought in this idea that you, you go through one sequence where it's all dark and you've got things jumping out at you. And he's basically saying to you, just breathe, just listen to the sound of your own breathing. And I did. And I got through that bit with barely a blink it felt really easy and i and it not in the sense of oh well that was too simple what was the what was the point of that but a triumph a, a triumph that that's the power fantasy for me <laughs> being able to get through a terrifying sequence and think well that didn't scare me because i was calm <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's sad really isn't it but anyway um but there was one point where I, I kind of got really annoyed with him because she was uh, she remembers a conversation that they've had where he he kind of says to her that does she because re- she's trying to get rid of this darkness and the visions and everything and he he I can't remember his exact words but he basically says it's a part of who you are and that's great that's that's good um, if you lose it. You'll be just like everyone else. You'll be... You'll, everything's going to be... It's what makes you special. Standard. Yeah. And, and I kind of thought, ah, uh, okay, there's a fine line there between I love you just the way you are, you don't need to change for me, mm. which is brilliant and accepting and that's great, and no, 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 no. I like you broken. Don't do anything to try and fix yourself because you're more interesting the way you are right now. <sighs> <clears throat> Lauren, you seem like you've been mm. wanting to speak for a while. So. Yes, yeah, sorry, no, I have no, 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 no. I've been, I've been just listening. I, I don't, 
I didn't want I didn't have anything really to add. I talked quite a bit earlier. I was happy to let you guys just go. Uh, the the only the only thing I'd add with the Furies is that they do have mechanical benefit as well. Because in the combat, there's one yeah, or two that'll be like, you, there's someone behind, behind you, yeah, yeah. dodge now, that kind of thing. Which I, again, just the marriage of, of theme and aesthetics and mechanics just are so so strong in this game. Absolutely. Playing, uh, pe- everyone told me play with headphones on. Of course, we couldn't because it was the two of us playing. Mm. But if you can play with fantastic headphones, do that. A cautionary note to <laughs> that, though, if you do have. Uh, mental health conditions which are likely to be triggered by and, what's going on in the game. And an Oculus Rift, which probably the two don't often go together. <laughs> I'm shaking my head so furiously right now. But basically, yeah, the, the headphones may be something you want to avoid mm. if you do need to maintain a, a little bit of detachment. Distance, yeah. um, again, the, the Sid Course gentleman said that when he was playing, he had to play it and, and live stream it to um, some friends in voice chat, and that was the only way he could get through it. His video is absolutely fantastic, It by really the way. is. Um, but I was, I was so of playing through this going please tell me they haven't done this in vr please tell me they haven't done this. <laughs> this would kill me if i play i mean i'm I'm not good with vr anyway it makes me feel sick but if i played this in vr oh dear sweet lord no hellblade Ooh. and living with psychosis is the one to uh to track down mm. by sid course yeah um and uh I, one thing i would say um this has been done as a film as in themes along these lines have sort of been explored in a film which is definitely about psychosis. The difficulty is, I can't say what the film is because it spoils it. Oh, right. Okay. okay. I'm going to just mute for a second and tell Sharon what it is. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and you can see now why I couldn't tell people. Um, I will say, folks, I mention this film quite a lot, specifically in regards to horror. Mm. If you know, you probably already know. Uh, What I will say is, yeah, um, that's that's a film that does the same job uh, in a way that I I, I found a lot, not a lot more, but uh, maybe slightly less effective, but a lot more... I was a lot more able to engage with it. And it, the fact that it wasn't sustained over eight to ten hours yeah. as opposed to just two hours. I was going to say, it's not less effective, mm. I don't think. It is less exhausting. It also feels like yeah. Senua's Sacrifice could possibly have taken place over four hours rather than eight with a bit less repetition of mechanics. Mm. But they have to justify so. that for the AAA uh, title and for, to get the bros in. Because otherwise the bros would be complaining that it wasn't long enough mm. and that they didn't feel enough empathy. No, they never explain. <laughs> they never complain about that. Mm. <laughs> See, I, I think the um, just a couple of other things that I just wanted to drop in about the the aesthetic and some of the ways that they they play out, okay. um, and how that impacts on how I interpret the game. There's there's something about the way they do light in this, which I thought was incredible. And then halfway through, I suddenly thought, "Shit, am I imagining this? <laughs> is is this actually is this just my perception? Is this not real?" Um, but there's um, there's something about the the brighter light where it's golden but it's kind of metallic it's not warm like you would expect sunlight mm. to be there's a sharpness to it and that kind of gives it that feeling of even when things are well 
they're not. Yeah. There's always this underlying feeling that this isn't right. Maybe even this isn't real, which is a really, really tough part of mental illness to deal with. Um, because it, it can strip out your enjoyment of when things are, are you know, going well for you. Yeah. Um, and that's tough. Um, and the the music as well had a sort of similar element to it. It's kind of hollow um, and there's like a mournful echo to it that really does, again, ache is really the only way I can describe it. Um, but it, this game filled me. And I think that's part of why I found it so hard in places and why there were it was necessary for me to detach while playing. You had to detach all the way back. Um, no, not all the way back. No, no, no. But I had to detach. Back enough that you had to let me yeah. do the playing. Um, and, there, I mean, there's parts where, towards the end, where it switches so that the, the bulk of the voices that you're hearing um, is is uh, Grammier and, and you're basically hearing her father constantly growling at her. Mm. And I was able to kind of push that to the background and actually not listen to it by mentally kind of ridiculing it, which, again, this is something that I do. My internal critic is a fucking bastard, and but I get around him by telling him he's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about and and I was able to kind of do that with the game and that's not part of the game that's not a mechanic of the game you don't have the option to make Senua do that but I can do that and it exactly and it it helped me get through those sections in a a slightly different way Um, I also loved the way um, uh, there is this sort of feed through of of godlike imagery, um, and it comes back to this idea of our parents being our model for God. That that the the demons that she has have been created by her childhood and her upbringing, and they are manifesting themselves as these uh, cultural deities that she's not all that familiar with, but thanks to Druth's stories, she has a a basic comprehension of. Um, And there's one point where um, you get the figure of Hela and it kind of merges into a manifestation of her mother, Galena, Mm. um, which I really love because it was like this... Hela is kind of a a facet of the mother, like as in the the eternal mother. Um, And it comes through in the form of her personal mother. And there's a feeling of things clicking into place at that point, which seemed to be represented by the fact that that throughout the game, you've had puzzle elements with bridges where you have to stand in certain locations and it makes bridges, which look as though they've been fractured, um, come together and then solidify. And then you can walk across them in this section. I, I started off, I saw a broken bridge. I tried to move to a place so that it would it would solidify and it wouldn't. Mm. And then I realised that actually all I have to do is run towards it. <laughs> Even though it's broken, run towards it with faith that I can get across it and it all falls into place as you move. Oh. And I loved that because that's the this is the point where everything is starting to, to sort of fall into place. And for that to have this very visual manifestation, I thought was superb. So many great little ideas in this, which again, I, I don't even know if they meant to do them. It was just the way they came across to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, for that... I I loved this. I loved I hated playing it. I hated being in it. It was uncomfortable and it was horrid and there were all sorts of things that I that I just 
I got angry and I got frustrated and I wanted to stop and I, I wanted to be done. Um, but it was so worth it huh. for me. Yeah, it, it's a it's an incredible game worth playing once. <laughs> and and much like um, uh, Spec Ops: The Line that you mentioned before, I I I, I, yes. I, I owned that once and then sold it because I thought never playing that again. That was brilliant. Yeah. Never playing it again. Yeah. And what you're describing, how that moment of you with the autonomy given to you by playing a game, realized that running forward was the appropriate action. Because I had a similar moment when I realized, oh wait, like they it starts coming together as I push forward. Um, that's one of the reasons why I feel like this couldn't be a movie. There could be movies that explore these themes, but I feel that Hellblade gains a whole lot by playing it, by, oh, yeah. by being an active player in the in the world. Yeah, just because it, it it would be better for me in a different medium doesn't mean it's not at its best here. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, but I, it was something that we had mentioned at the very beginning as to whether or not we felt it would, you know, it, it needed to be a game. And I think that it, it does. Well, if ultimately, if it wasn't, another game would come along which attempted to do it, this. Yeah. And if the rationale was, well, you should really be a movie, games can't advance. Right. So I, I am far more invested in the medium of games advancing than whether or not I like them. Fandoms would do well to understand individually that the medium advancing, the series advancing, is more important than you personally liking it. Do not mourn the waves, the leaves, the clouds. Even in darkness, the wonder and the beauty of this world never leaves us. It is always there, waiting to be seen again. I think that's about a, as profound yeah. a statement as we can end on. Yeah. The the uh, the only other thing I had that I wanted to mention very briefly, and you mentioned the music earlier. Mm-hmm. The ending credits have a song by VNV Nation called Illusion, mm-hmm. uh, and when that kicked on, and I'm listening to it, I'm like, I know this song. I thought that too. <laughs> and well, so um, my my ex, my partner, uh, uh, who you know up till a couple of years ago, they. Um, they were a huge fan of VNV Nation, so I became very intimately familiar with that band and that person. So realizing that it was VNV Nation had a whole nother set of relationship-related uh, emotions well up within me, and I, I was a broken mess by the end of this game. Um, I, I played it in the dark with headphones the whole way through, even though it was over three sessions, I think. Thank God. I was uh, to say you and, a broken man. <laughs> yeah. But at the end, I... Uh, it, it wasn't... <sighs> there are plenty of games that I've played where I've cried at the end, and very rarely is it like a cathartic, almost happy kind of tears. Mm. And this game surprisingly elicited that response from me, mm. where I was, it was after all of the tension 
for all of that time and all of the different themes and memories and emotions that were welling up within me throughout the experience and feeling like I was trudging through every step of this game alongside Senua standing next to her in those fights. Uh, I, I would play this game in VR, by the way. I It would probably ruin me, but I would do it. But it would be different felt- a second time, though, because you would at least be, you'd be on board with it by that stage. You'd get it. Whereas Absolutely. playing within VR the first time would be an ordeal and a half. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, but I felt like, like like how you described that whenever you were playing it, you felt like you had to pull away because you were frustrated that you couldn't change it. For whatever reason, I felt like I stepped forward and that I was there right along. And I think it has something to do with the camera. Like whenever you do a charge attack, it kind of zooms in on Senua and it rumbles a little bit as she runs. And I, I felt like I had gone on every step of this journey alongside her. And in the end... To hear a song that I directly associated with so much um, so much uh, love, but also hurt, and uh, it was it was definitely the best possible way that the game could have ended for me. So that, I wanted to make sure that that was mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's a really good song, too. It is. it is a really, really good song. Let's end on that precise song as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you so, so much, Lauren, for coming on. This uh, It's been another... Like, I think this is actually better than the Sucker Punch one. And that Sucker yeah. Punch one was a was one for the ages. It's, it's a good show. Yeah. I actually think Holds we up. meandered less. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. People may be surprised to hear that. I but. will cut a lot less... I will. I will trim this down very little i think it yeah. uh, it kind of deserves to have the full ramble mm. because people need the levity and the back and forth and uh yeah yeah it, it also helps that we were a lot less at loggerheads uh than we <laughs> yes. were with sucker punch this is true uh. <laughs> um, also are you can you put links in the um podcast description of course i can because I, th- I think all the videos that we've talked about need um yeah to be linked and, to because they are all definitely worth watching and, and yeah. uh, absorbing okay and one one that wasn't mentioned was uh hamish black's uh writing on games he did a video on hellblade i can't remember the name of it but it's also excellent uh sid course uh hellblade, hellblade and living, living with psychosis low batteries but we should probably mention the fact that did this get nominated or did it actually win best british game this year uh, it won five nominations at the Games Awards, including Best Audio Design, Best Performance for Melina Jurgens, and the Games for Impact Award. It was also nominated for the Best Independent Game and the Best Narrative at the 2017 Independent Game Developers Association Awards event. It won the award for Best Action and Adventure Game, and it also received nominations for the Best Audio Design and the Best Visual Design. Uh, additionally, at the 45th Annie Awards, the game received the nomination for Outstanding Achievement for Character Animation and Video Game. Games. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Thank you, Lauren. Thank yeah, you, Lauren. Sure. Yeah. Perfect. Sure, sure, sure. This episode was a commissioned show from someone called Parker Welch. Uh, we negotiated around to it because usually we don't do video games uh, because they take too much time. But this was something that I'd been meaning to play. I just, honestly, I'm not sure I would have been able to get through it. Quite apart from anything else, we didn't at that point own a PlayStation 4. But a lot of the people asking us to do 
video game related commissions are were asking for PlayStation 4 or Steam related games which just for some reason aren't yet available on uh, Microsoft and I would far far rather play something in the living room than something on the computer because I spend all day at this thing so for Christmas we got a PlayStation 4 so we could play more commission games but the commission gave me that extra impetus and really kept us going when otherwise we might have put the controller down and waited for another day and then just waited and waited. There are many games which we have never gone back to because they were this arduous. But for different reasons. In this case, it was psychologically draining. But I'm very glad we finished it. So thank you, Parker. Lauren, is there any uh, thing you want to plug? No, I, I got nothing going on other than work and my, the occasional appearance on your cast. So, uh, I mean, I guess my, my old podcast is still available to be listened to, but it's pretty old at this point. So. Yeah, but it's still worth talking about. And we could also kind of plug something that Laura did as well in, with that. So what, what, was, what was it called? So uh, I used to do a podcast called Year of Steam with Laura and our mutual friend Ian. And uh, we would play games from our Steam libraries kind of at random. It was a, a kind of a, a roulette, a Steam roulette kind of setup. We did it for two years. Uh, it's still available on, on iTunes, Year of Steam. If you're going to listen to one, go find uh, the episode on the Stanley Parable and the Beginner's Guide because Laura and I went for a solid hour just kind of <laughs> emptying out what the Beginner's Guide meant to us, and it was heavy. So, um Yeah. Stanley Parable. Okay. So, uh, Lauren, can you introduce this final song? Sure. Uh, This is Illusion by VNV Nation. And I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Good job. you are.
Thank you. 